Let's face it, people have different sleep needs. While you love your partner, sleeping next to them might not always be the most comfortable. Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs, so you can choose what's right for each of you whenever you like. Maybe you prefer a firmer mattress and your partner needs something softer. Because of the individualized comfort that you get from Sleep Number Smart Beds, you and your partner will sleep better together. All Sleep Number Smart Beds feature cooling, pressure-relieving comfort layers for soothing sleep throughout the night. And their temperature balancing bedding is designed to move heat and moisture away when you're hot. When you're cool, they hold their energy to help warm you. The smart beds even automatically respond and adjust to your movements so you sleep comfortably all night long. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards only at a sleep number store or sleepnumber.com what makes a life a good one is it the adventure you have or the friends you find along the way maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect defend and save what you believe in every single day so what makes a life a good one In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Welcome to episode 531 with my guests, uh, Andrea Allen and Emily Lubin. Uh, They do a podcast called the Hot Mess Comedy Hour. And uh, a note about this episode, when we originally recorded it, we were recording me being a guest on their podcast, and then there was so much kind of back and forth, we decided to release this as a joint episode of us kind of both interviewing each other. Um, So, go fuck yourself. (laughs) I don't know why all of a sudden I felt judged by you. And I lashed out. I don't know what the hell that is about. My name is Paul Gilmartin, and this is the Mental Illness Happy Hour. A place for honesty about all the battles in our heads, from medically diagnosed conditions, past traumas, and sexual dysfunction to everyday compulsive negative thinking. This show is not meant to be a substitute for professional mental counseling. I'm not a therapist. It's not a doctor's office. It's more like a waiting room that doesn't suck. The website for this show and the social media handles are MentalPod. That would be MentalPod.com. Blah, 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 blah. I hate having to do the boilerplate stuff. Please subscribe to the podcast. If you want to donate, go to... Let's read some surveys. We got a new survey up uh, called Ask Paul Anything. And Bill asks, what have you learned the most from doing the show? 
and I'd say that there's no one thing that I've I've learned the most, but I can list some of the things that I have learned a lot about. I've learned a lot about the experiences of uh, trans people, non and all non-binary people. Um, I've I've learned the appropriate language to use. Um, I have learned a lot about people's sexual fantasies, um, especially women. Uh, I have learned that there is a shitload of incest out there, especially between uh, siblings. Uh, I think we all kind of knew that there was the you know father daughter. Uh, incest, but I uh, was also shocked to find out how often uh, there's incest between uh, the mother and the son and the mother and the daughter, and that it's never or rarely uh, overt. It's usually covert. Um, and I learned that that's what I experienced as a, as a kid. And uh, that was... <laughs> It was not fun. I I learned that a lot of people, when driving to work, uh, want to veer into oncoming traffic so they don't have to deal with their problems. Uh, I learned that people will go to incredible lengths to minimize the abuse that happened to them from, from caregivers. Um, and I also learned that we can have compassion for somebody who has experienced what we have experienced, but we really struggle to give that same compassion to ourselves and feel like we should just suck it up and move on. So I would say those are the those are the main things, but thank you for your question. This is from the Back in Time survey figure, uh, filled out by a woman who calls herself figuring it out in my 30s. And she writes, I would go back to when my only sexual education was through my church's high school youth group. Uh, I would tell myself so many things, that my body was nothing to be ashamed of, and as long as I continued to love and respect myself and others, it wasn't my problem what other people thought about it, that sex was something women wanted and enjoyed, in parentheses, not just men, and that my high sex drive was normal and healthy. That staying a virgin wouldn't gain me a perfect marriage or any marriage, and that, quote, purity culture would result in sexual dysfunction for many of my married friends. That men are not mindless sexual monsters, and women are not mindless sexual objects. I have a pretty healthy sex drive, uh, in parentheses, high. But I didn't even realize women had sex drives until I was in my mid-20s, and it had, it had taken a decade to begin to heal from the lies I, quote, happily believed for so long. I wished I could have entered my 20s understanding just how beautiful and complicated my sexuality is. That is awesome. That is awesome. Thank you for that. We are sponsored today, as always, by BetterHelp.com, online therapy. That's Better H-E-L-P. Uh, if you've never tried online therapy, what the hell are you waiting for? Get on your computer and check it out. I've been doing it for a couple of years, and I, as I say every week, I'm a big fan of it. I don't have to leave my house. I can cry right there in my recliner. I can even suck my thumb. 
I can suck my thumb in front of my therapist. That's how non-judgmental she is. But I usually wait until, until we disconnect. And then I suck my thumb. Sorry for that image. Uh, if you are interested in trying online therapy, and by the way, they are licensed in all 50 states, uh, go to betterhelp.com slash mental. Make sure you include the slash mental part so they know you came from the podcast. And then fill out a questionnaire. And if they have a counselor that they feel is a good fit for you, they will match you up with one and you can experience a free week of counseling to see if it is your thing. And you need to be over 18. All right, one more survey before the uh, the interview. With the Hot Mess Girls, uh, this was uh, from the Fears survey filled out by Brittany Jean, 81, and she writes, I have been an IV meth user for almost a year. The amount of meth I inject in a day is enough to kill someone. I have encountered hardened addicts of 20 plus years that have said I am insane for being able to consume that amount and then go to work. In parentheses, keep in mind, I've been fired from the last two jobs. I fear overdosing all alone in my apartment and my corpse being the only thing for the animals to eat. In parentheses, that last part made me laugh because I'm able to see how ridiculous and irrational my untreated alcoholism that is now manifesting with a fancy meth addiction can make me think. I am full of fear, but I also just printed an application for a residential treatment center and I know in my heart I will be okay if my heart doesn't explode. I just wanted to get the fuck away from my life. You know, I couldn't have felt any lure. Grief, guilt, shame. Why wasn't I born a girl? There's a switch that gets flipped in my head. I'm supposed to be a girl. I experience being treated like an animal. How can a just God... I have a vomit fetish. Let humans do this to each other. Help! I fucking flew over the cuckoo's nest. My wife's losing it. I thought it was all about me. I don't know what to do. I would have committed suicide if I could have watched my funeral. A Polaroid I found of my mother um, naked in a dentist chair. And my body doesn't quite... I think I did eight days in L.A. County Jail. ...fit how I see myself. What was it all for? Why are my friends dead? Everything that I did, there's a comfort in the scars for me, was in service of OCD. You've already had all the paper cuts. Step away from the paper. It's really hard to see the picture when you're inside the frame. You know, it takes a larger view to see your life. Just actually have somebody listen to you. Yeah. And I got up and got my tooth and left. (laughs) <laughs> Why do you need to exaggerate right out of Legendary. the gate? Legendary. We just like to set the bar impossibly high uh-huh. to see how you're going to handle it. So this needs to be a legendary episode of the podcast. If it's not, then get the fuck out. Yeah, I mean, I don't. This is a lot of pressure. Yes. Well, so, you're a man, so yeah. perform, Paul. <laughs> perform. You're supposed we to perform it. under pressure. Let me go take a podcast pill. Uh-huh. <laughs> Throw a football through a tire Deep and breaths. then. I wish yeah. they did make podcast Viagra. Yeah, because I think, I think weed I, is aren't podcast we drinking Viagra. It right yeah, now? Mm, we're, very we're, very we're true. Caffeinating right now. Yeah, our performance enhancement. I feel like could help a lot of people. What caffeine and weed? I think is podcasting pills. It opens you I can't up, but smoke it makes weed you before doing this. My yeah. mind, my reaction time is slower. Yeah, and I feel like my reaction time is already. Like I, I select my words very carefully. Yeah, so when you do. I'm when I'm high, it's ten times starts to get worse. dumbed down. Yeah. Oh, good. I'm gonna start drinking again to even you out. Do so you guys I, do stand up? Yes. Have you ever been high doing stand up? I can't do it. It's yes. the worst. Can't it's do it. The worst. Uh, but 
you know, I know that some people can handle it yeah. and perform well. I, I think of it the same way that I think of drinking because some people, they have a couple drinks and their act is incredibly sloppy. But I like to have a drink or whatever before going on. I feel like it loosens me up and it makes me more charismatic. So I think it's just, you know, case everybody handles it differently. Here's the thing. I used to, I no longer drink. Uh, and I used to drink before I went on stage to get confidence. It was also mm-hmm. like playing into my alcoholic, weird connection. Like I got to drink and be raw. And I'm like, I'm Hemingway. I'm a cool. Exactly. Um, and so when I stopped drinking, I started to smoke weed to try to replace it and do that. But drinking kind of revved me up. I was sloppy. Like it wasn't good, but yes. weed turns me into this dumbass, like, dude, I'm totally high right now. And I think I saw a video of myself and I was like, oh, never again. Yeah. No, no, no. I didn't make this huge change in my life to then shift over to being an idiot in another way. Like, no, thank you. Bragging about partying does not age well. No. Not at all. It's acceptable up to a certain point and then it very quickly becomes sad. Yes. It's like when I was saying to you the other day that I wanted to get hair extensions. So I had share level hair and you were like, Andrea, at a certain age, that starts to look really weird. Yeah. And I was like, have I passed it? I'm- Nobody tells you. No. That's and why yeah. that Amy Schumer sketch is so funny about yes. the uh, the last day that you're fuckable. Yes. Oh, it's- yeah. <laughs> then you got to start working on other skill sets, man. Yeah. Life is about giving, diversifying your offerings as you shift as a human being. Yes. Yeah. And, if- and that's not to say that her sketch wasn't satirizing mm-hmm. the objectification of of women mm-hmm. but it, both same subject matter it's but hitting I, a but point I lo- but i loved that sketch because i loved how all the women were so happy about not being fuckable anymore because mm-hmm. the pressure was off like yeah. now we can actually just be who we are right. and mm-hmm. not worry about being seen through the male gaze yeah. yes. Sh- show's over folks let yourself out Ugh, no more makeup hair in a ponytail let your freak flag is done. <laughs> is there is there any feeling better than after a good show and it's just quiet Oh, and yeah. and you're just by yourself. Mm-hmm. It's do you have a difficult time holding a conversation with somebody right after a really long set? Um if the adrenaline was really high then then yeah, I have a tough time transitioning from like high energy situations to low energy situ- situations. Yeah. My experience with it is that I am so, especially if I'm producing a show too, if I'm worried about everything going well, the anxiety beforehand, then it goes well and there's this relief. And I'm like, I just want to be alone in this moment right now because this is literally what I do this for is this little catharsis right afterwards. I don't want to small talk with you right now. It's not about you. It's about like my ego feels very good right now. It takes a lot of energy to get to this spot. So let me enjoy it. Yeah, there's like this decompression that that mm-hmm. needs to to happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was watching like post coital joy. <laughs> You're like, really I just is. need to nap right now. Stop talking. Yes. To me. Don't touch me. Yes. Mm. Just need a cigarette and an animated movie. Yes. I was uh, reading an interview, and Michael Stipe said that it takes him about two months after being on tour to be able to really focus in on a conversation, like when he's at yes. a dinner party. Wow. And I thought, wow. Two well, that, months is that's a lot of lead up time. It is a lot. Well, it's Michael Stipe. Yeah. Well, 
We've been in LA now. I've been in LA for a month. Um, and Emily's been here for a week and we live in New York, obviously. And I feel like I have been living this crazy performer lifestyle vagabond. Like I'm doing podcasts. I'm driving around in a car with you. I never know where the fuck I am. It's very exciting. That being said, I want to go home to New York and sleep for a week just because I'm like, I did everything I I came out here to do. It was really exciting. It was also incredibly stressful. And I just want to, I need a little, I need a little reprieve. What was stressful about it? Um, I was fish out of water. That's what it was. Like in New York, I'm very comfortable within my scene. I know everybody. I kind of know where I like stand, quote unquote, with people. Um, And I know what New York comedy audiences are like. I know what most New York podcasters are like. I have a, a wide comfort zone here. And I think it's a good thing. I think you should always push yourself out of your comfort zone. There's no way you're going to grow if you don't do that. Right. That being said... I still am like, I don't know these new people. I don't know what LA comics think about me. I don't know. Am I going to be good on this show? What's the show like? It, all yes. this doubt of like, you feel like you're back at square one again. It sounds, uh, yeah, like that feeling in high school. Yes. Yeah. Where do I fit in? Do am I cool enough? Like me? Am I loved? Am yeah. I hated? Oh my God. Yeah, and having to juggle all these different scarves of anxiety, if you will. <laughs> That it takes, is it takes such an, a great phrase. Yeah. Thank you. It takes an incredible amount of energy. Yeah. I was freaking When you, Emily arriving, and this is like our codependency is just ramping up as the, our years of friendship continue, but I felt so much better when she arrived because now I'm going through all this stuff, but I have you to like witness it with me and make comments and ground me like, Hey, was that person weird? Or do you feel mm. weird? Like, it's just, it's just having a co-pilot in a, in a totally new, um, environment. I can do it without her. Hopefully. <laughs> I mean, uh, isn't that really life? It's just yeah. so much better to have a shared experience uh-huh. and get out of your fucking head yes. and be like, oh, Dude, this can be weird? right. That yeah. This can be a connective experience uh-huh. rather than something that I have to somehow label sure. on my own and then spend the rest of my time ruminating on whether or not I labeled it correctly. Yeah. Was yeah. that weird? I mean, we were talking earlier about experiences, unpleasant experiences with people or even not even unpleasant, like, but say I, I've been on a few podcasts out here. I, I'm like, I don't know if we're, we're, we're jiving well. I think that we are, but I, I don't have a full understanding of, of how you're feeling. And so afterwards you build this whole backstory in your head of like what they thought. And was, when I said this, did they think this and that that's why, and are they going to tweet and blah, 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 blah. Like it's just this whole crazy psychotic carnival that's happening in my brain. But the thing is, I'm never going to know. It's it's like a a lover when you break up and and you don't know how they felt in the end. You're never going to or what they're going to say to other people. Yes, that's the well, that is the worst. Are and, you the crazy person in their story? Right. The way are you the example every, of what not to get into? Yeah, everybody. I think, or mostly everybody, is the crazy person in somebody's story. Oh, I'm the whether crazy it's a drive-by, you know, one-night stand experience. This person, you know, wanted to have sex with her dog watching. Mm-hmm. I'm not speaking from experience okay. or anything. Um, this person kept crying about their ex weirdly. This person <laughs> was punching himself in the head when they came. Not that that's from personal experience. Yeah, but that to me, that if are that's happening, bo- are these both things that? Oh, these are all real yeah, things. Yeah, these are all real. But, but, I mean, the punching in the head, I think, 
he if somebody's doing that then that strikes me as something he would be doing often and he's the crazy person in many people's stories but like even things that are not that severe Mm -hmm. and somebody wanted to have the dog watch is that it yeah like wouldn't like the dog i'm not judging i'm just always fascinated by the things that turn people on you can judge it yes i'm not honestly i'm not it's not that he wanted the dog to watch. It's that the dog was clearly in distress and wanted to be taken outside. And he didn't, like, have the the thought that, like, okay, the dog doesn't want to, like, sit here and, and watch, watch this human fuck show going it, down. Yeah, while, while it's, like, suffering and wanting to be paid attention to and wanting to be taken outside. Mm. So... That then made me uncomfortable, and yeah. and he'll be dog guy forever to you. Forever, yeah, forever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure you know. I'm not saying anything about his Sorry, relationship th- with the dog. <laughs> I'm sure he's very nurturing in other. I don't know about this. I, you know, I don't know. I don't know. It, but, so, it sounds to me like he just didn't want to stop. Yeah. And yeah, the yes. dog in that moment was like, uh, you need to shit on the floor, shit on the floor. Yeah. yeah. And I get that side of it, too. I'm not telling anybody that you shouldn't fuck if you want to fuck. Do you think he was afraid that if he went to take the dog out and came back, you would have changed your mind? Yeah, you would I would have climbed steam. out the window and down sure. the, tail, the drain pipe. Yeah. Uh, that's, I, that's, I, I think, yeah, like he thought interrupting it would mean that. It, it might not take happen. me out of it. Mm-hmm. I think it's the same reason why a lot of people skip condoms. I mean, I, I don't know, a lot. <laughs> you know, I you think hear a lot too. Yeah, yeah. you hear about of this all the time. Of- like, it's all, it's all, I don't want to disrupt the mood. I don't want to take a break. And it, But it's like, you gotta. You're already here. Yeah. We're yes. already doing this. Nobody's like, a condom? What the fuck? You're going to take two minutes to yourself? Some to- people are like that. Though. Really? Yeah. A lot of, I've had a lot of men like that because, especially at, like some older men that I've slept with who don't like to use condoms, the condom comes up and then it's like this weird negotiation now that's happening. And we've spoken about this in the past. When I was younger, I just used to be like, oh, okay, that's cool. And I, you seem trustworthy and like it's not a big deal. What are, and and now it's like, mm-mm. Yes. You're putting that on or this yeah. is not uh, happening. Non-negotiable. How close in numbers do you think uh, the number of sk- skipped condoms mm-hmm. is to uh, damage children? Oh, I think it's a <laughs> oh, one-to-one oh one that's a relationship. Yeah. Question. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's got to be like... I don't think all damaged children are skipped condoms, but I think, I think condoms, all skipped condoms are damaged children. Yes. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. a yes. Yeah. Because <laughs> it's you. two adults who can't negotiate having sex. You're now going to raise a fully healthy human being. I doubt it. I doubt it. Yeah. Let uh, me just say the two abortions that I had with skip condom situations, you're welcome, society, because that kid <laughs> would have been such a fucking mess. Like, I really do feel as if it was the more responsible thing to do for everybody involved. And some people, some people, whenever I, people give me grief or ask me questions about my abortions, I'm, I'm always like, so you would rather that I just had a kid and ruin my life? That's your view? Like, that can't and be potentially logical. their lives. Yes. yes. Raise them with a with yawning a shitty, emptiness uh, yeah. inside them. A shitty ex-heroin addict that was cheating on me? Part pass. I don't want to bring that kid into the world. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, <laughs> speaking of, you know, connective mm, experiences. Great segue. And 
sharing stuff with people and, and uh, shitty ex boyfriends. Shitty ex boyfriends. What a, we landed on a cloud. <laughs> You're a pro, Paul. You, you drove us right to our our uh, story this week, which is um, Emily and I both have exes who are. I would say, quote unquote, big exes. Is that the way to label them? I like that. Yeah. They're people like, there's exes that you have, I feel, where the relationship was fine. It was short. You look back on it fondly. Yeah. There's no longing or It wasn't hard passionate or dramatic in any way. It was kind of a, uh, just a little experience with another person. And then there's exes where catastrophe reigns over you and it takes a long time to recover from it and feelings are hurt. And these men were both that for us. For different, was, I would say there was some hurt feelings. Oh, I would say years of of trying to move past this stuff. My ex was the one who I believe. If you listen to the episode with Molly Austin, if you want a, a reference to that breakup, I, we recorded a podcast right after, and I was fucked up about it because um, he had taken on another girlfriend. We had kind of an open thing, but it, it was not discussed. And then when I asked about it, it was like, oh, I have another girlfriend. I'm glad you asked. And so it was like, whoa, okay, that's new information. And we had to break up. I had to break up because I need to like protect myself from that. I didn't feel comfortable. H- had you had a discussion about having an open relationship? We ha- it, was, it, was, it was dumb early 20s shit that was happening. So there had been half conversations. Mm-hmm. So when we That's st- enough. Yes. That's enough for I feel. somebody. I feel for major assumptions. Yes. There were a lot of assumptions going on. Totally. And, and I have to own my half of it. because I'm saying in the mind of, of him yes. or a horny guy in his 20s. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Sure. I have to always like, if I, if I leave a relationship that, that is damaging or hurts my feelings, I always like to take inventory of my part of it because that's the only thing you can control. So when I started dating him, he had just come out of a bad relationship, myself as well. It was casual. We were both like, we're fucked up. Let's just have fun. And no, we don't need to be dating. Everything's, we're both work in progress human beings right now. And that was great for a time. Then like six months into it, he just, he he was struggling with some mental health problems. He also like, he just wanted to, hook up and be like a free dude and i get that but i was like hey listen it's been six months i just we connect on an emotional level that's really cool but i'm worried about like continuing down this road of ambiguity ambiguity with you Mm -hmm. because this is going to hurt my feelings somehow i'm going to continue to grow attached to you i think we need to break up now because i don't i see where this is going and the end doesn't look good and he was like no, uh, let's stay together. We'll make sure to spend more quality time together. He kind of like leveled up a little bit to, to stay with me. And I accepted that. I wanted to stay with him. It's kind of the answer I wanted to hear enough of the answer that I wanted to hear. Then there's some conversation, like we met on a dating app and he was like, Oh, I deleted the dating apps. And I was like, Oh, is that your like 24 year old way of being like, I'm not really pursuing other You're things. You're such a prince. Right. You deleted the dating. I apps. know. I was really like, Oh my God, he's committing to me. Hold on. Let me run to the trophy shop. Sure. Right. Oh, <laughs> what are you doing on June 28th? Cause uh-huh. we're getting married now. Introduce you to my parents. Mama, I'm getting you- married. Cause you deleted Tinder. Like it was such a small conversation, but I clung on to it a little bit because that's what I wanted from him at that point. Um, or I just, I want, I liked what we had and I was, I was willing to deal with the uncertainty of it because I 
really was falling for this person and I wanted them in my life. Cut to, he makes a comment about Tinder a few months later and I'm like, well, I thought you don't, I thought you deleted the dating. Like what's going what on? What about all those apps we yeah, said we were I thought deleting? you were just throwing them out the window. And so I was like, okay, now is the time that I ask you because there's, we're a year and a half in, we've been doing this weird thing. There's dating apps are deleted. Now I'm back on. Like I need to know where I stand. So I was like, Hey, I know that we haven't had a formal conversation, but you mentioned Tinder. Like, I just want to know where I, what's happening. And then I get hit with, oh yeah, I meant to tell you. I've like started kind of seeing someone else on a serious level and I want to date her and also date you. And I was like, I didn't sign up to get sister-wived without my permission. Like, Did he actually use the phrase, I meant to tell you? Yeah, oh, yeah. like this was coming I've this been was meaning to up. tell you. It's, it's interesting that, how... That kind of adds a little salt to it. It's like, oh, yes, this also wasn't that important to me that it slipped my mind. Exactly. You know, if, I think if you were going to say that, you would say, this is really hard to yeah. say because mm-hmm. I don't want to hurt your feelings. Totally. And... I apologize in advance if mm-hmm. it does, but it was a casual throwaway. But then again, that's that's guys in their twenties. Yes, uh, yes, and I, knew, uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, the I meant to tell you the um, translation, the the English translation of that is, I, I was keep, never going to tell you unless you directly asked me about it because I wanted to keep fucking you and also fucking this girl because I like the emotional labor that I'm getting from you and I like the sex. But I, I don't feel like committing right now. I want to have that and also have the freedom at the same time. And I don't want to tell you because I'm worried that you're going to walk away from me. I want a greeting card with yes, that on it. Exactly. It would, it would have to be a small font totally. yeah, to fit it all sure. in the front. Totally. fitting, but that is yeah. early 20s classic. And I knew, I knew going into it that there were these flags, but I love to run through a red flag at top speed. It's like, very much my way. I'm trying to get better with it. But this relationship really, I had to break up with him immediately. Um, and it was really hard. I, I miss my friend. We were best, like we were talking, we were together for a year and a half. That's a long time to know someone. But I was like, no, this is like some self-respect has to be laid down. I got to say goodbye to you. Uh, like, and he was like, can we be friends? And I was like, I don't know. I, I don't know. I can't give you any answers right now. Then cut to we have a show that he's involved with in some way he brings this girl that he's hooking up with to the show and like is kind of that's just insensitive it's just and so i'm like i can't have you i can't be anywhere near you now like maybe you weren't even thinking about me when you did that that's one possibility or maybe you were thinking about me and you wanted to like make me jealous or prove both not great none of it's great all of it's dog shit so there's really no scenario in which he he wasn't super selfish. Absolutely. And I and I really I think that he was young and immature and I and I did some insensitive shit at that age too. And so I have As did I. Yeah, we all yes. do. And so I'm not like demonizing him and and I have been thinking about my part in it and that relationship forced me to really look at myself and be like why do you keep doing this? Mm. Why do you not keep asking for what you really want? Why do you keep placating everyone else's needs? Like you need to start to demand a level of respect out the gate as just a standard. And so that's what I did. And I ended up dating someone who was really lovely 
and I had a wonderful relationship with him. It was a growing relationship and we're still friends. And, but, but me and this, this guy broke up the relationship afterwards. And then the ex from before started creeping into my brain and he was just living. There was social media stalking happening. Like, so he was your catnip. Yes, he was. It was like, Ooh. And also like the sex was really good between the two of us. And it was exciting and dramatic. It was one of my last relationships. Isn't that had sex been. always better when they're a little distant? Oh, it's the best. Yes. yes. Or they're like a so. little off kilter in a certain way. Yes. And so are you. And it just, Oh, it's so, it's like drugs. It really so is. I was like hankering for that hit. And, and I also started being like, I also started thinking about my part in it more. And I was like, it sucks that he might not, he might not like me or he might feel like I'm an asshole for the way that I, I cut it off. And I just, I don't know. It started gnawing away at me in a way that I'm not sleeping, like obsessively checking social media, um, being worried that I was going to run into him in certain neighborhoods. Like he had, did been, you go to the driving past his place level? Almost, almost. Yes. It, it, the thing with social media is that you can be driving past their place from yeah. your phone at, at night in your bed in a way that it's like, I'm up till four 30 in the morning. Who's this new girl? I had to delete him off Facebook. Cause it's, I, it's interesting how one version of stalking is seen as, Whoa, you're fucking, physical in-person stalking is but the other form of stalking is something that we just all do because Uh nobody is holding us accountable for no mm -mm. you have to hold yourself you have to like block these you gotta do the block so you can't do it um but i want to see an episode of big brother that that is that people out in the out in the world yes and they're not over an x yeah Yeah. you not to the point where they're scaring someone or hurting them but Uh. you see the pain. Yes. And I think so many people could use a, uh, 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 an example of something that helps them feel less alone in that, in uh-huh. that just chasm of pain it's after a, a breakup. Feeling. Well, yeah. because I, I think you also, you think, um, I'm pathetic for feeling this way. They are not I thinking shouldn't about st- me. They're not even thinking about me. I s- shouldn't still be feeling this way. I mean, mm-hmm. this was somebody from years yeah. ago. Yeah. And and you you think like, oh, this was a year and a half, quote, relationship. I should have been over it in six months. Right, right. And but why am I not? But that's not how it works. And I hate, I, I don't like that whole like, I don't even know. I think it's a sex in the city reference that uh-huh. like people have accepted this idea that it takes half the amount of time of the relationship relationship. to Mm -hmm. get over the person. I've heard it from so many people and I think it's from sex in the city. And I have got to say it's the fucking dumbest. Stop putting me in that prison. I need years. You have been ruining people's ideas of what dating is really like. And I'm here to call you the fuck out. Okay. But to go anti, to, to go pro sex in the city though. Mm, Okay. All right. To take the counterpoint sex in the city. If I had the reason why I continued this mourning period with this person is because I didn't address the abrupt end of our relationship and the really like upsetting feelings that I had. I kind of shoved it down. I dated someone else. And then as soon as I was single again, he, he popped back up because I had no closure. And I always believed closure was bullshit up until recently. I was like, okay, closure. Sure. No, repress it. Fuck a bunch of dudes. Don't deal with the humiliation. You're, no, I know. I can't. I can't. I can't reach out to you and again, like appear I appear weak. Oh, I already appeared weak too much for my comfort zone, but it hit a point of critical mass where I'm like, I have to 
I have to say something to this person. I watched Judd Apatow's show, Love, and I was in an emotional place. I was crying in my bed. Like That show makes me crazy. It was a perfect storm of, it was like a perfect emotional fucking mess. And so I ended up texting him and I just said, you've been on my mind recently. What a crazy, weird, oh, yeah. left field way to get back into someone's Did life. Did it include a selfie of you on the ground in the fetal position sucking your thumb? Honestly, it didn't need to include that because that type implied. of text, it, it's implied. <laughs> You've been on my mind? What am I, a weird beatnik poet? Like, that's such a... We haven't talked for years. And then I just dropped that kind of shit on you. But I was like, that's all I have in me now. Yeah, it's you throwing a rock at someone's window. Sure, totally. I was tapping... In text message Tapping form. on the yes. glass. Like, I'm still here. Mm-hmm. Do, do you still want to engage with me? But I don't want to express myself because that would make me even more vulnerable. No, exactly. This yes. is already so much that I need to Please read my mind you. so yes. that I don't have to be vulnerable and transparent. Oh, my God. To let me out of this cage. Um, and so I text him... He doesn't text me back for days. So that's like days of just like, oh, but actually, as soon as I texted him, I felt a little bit of the catharsis. And I was like, this is really, it either was the the catharsis or the excitement that he might be getting back in my life again. I don't know. Probably a combo of the two. Isn't the not knowing also a high in itself? Yeah. Yeah. I know that you saw this and you're thinking about it. I'm in your shit now, man. I'm burrowing in. Well, think about it. Like the finality of the relationship versus like this might be not a huge possibility but at least there's that tiny possibility Uh that anything could happen which then allows you to go into fantasy Mm -hmm. which is really to me like the drug of emotional intimacy struggles and the complicated relationship with the parent of the opposite sex Mm. or whatever trauma we're replaying mainlining it like it's fucking coke and i know i even know i'm doing this and here's the thing too is that like i was talking about my relationship with drinking now i understand uh how i function with alcohol but within the last few years i'm starting to look at the way that i function with men and it's like Oh, I, got a, no. I got a support group for you. Oh yeah, I know sex and love addicts, and I'm like, oh no, another thing I have to like figure out, and I know what I'm doing, but it feels good to be aware of it. Like that's the first step, and I'm like, okay, I know what I'm doing here. I'm participating it in kind of a toxic way, but I also like, I really do feel like I need to talk to this person. So he finally responds to me, and he goes like, you know, I'm sorry, I I haven't responded quickly i'm like he's struggling with a lot of mental illness problems on his own and he always was this way and i i don't think that he's trying to avoid me i really think that he's having a hard time and and always has and basically it's just like i don't have any ill feelings towards you i'm like glad to hear from you but i'm struggling with mental health in a way that like it's hard for me to be around people i don't think it would be healthy for me to be around you considering what we are with one another and also, this is what he texted. He back. says to me, yeah. "Yeah." And also, he says, "I have a girlfriend too now." And like, I don't know that that's what you're doing, but if that is kind of like what you're interested in, I feel like I have to be forthright with you about that. And what a step up from his previous yeah. communications, huge. huge. Yeah. And I was just like, oh, like I felt so much. I felt so much better. I think it was because at the end of the relationship, because during the relationship, he was this guy, this really communicative, loving like wonderful smart person and then the end was so like this asshole and i was like i thought i knew like i thought i knew this person i didn't expect you to pull like a full-on fuck boy on me and then 
I got that response from him and I just felt a sense of relief like, okay, we're cool. You're you. And I know that also like him struggling with mental illness. I was like, oh yeah, that was always like a big, hard part of our relationship that you were going through that. I'm glad that I'm not engaging with that right now. I can't really handle that. And also like, you don't hate me. I think that was part of it too, is that I cared so much about what he thought and who he was right. that, that the idea that like me abruptly cutting it it off made it possible that like I was his quote unquote crazy ex. He did hate me. Like it was going to be awkward when we ran into each other. None of it. I felt such relief. That's crazy that you would even worry about his opinion of you. Isn't, isn't that though the natural thing after you get broken up with is you want to know why yeah. so that you can fix it so yeah. it doesn't happen again. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And it was a weird, it was a weird like I pulled the trigger on the breakup of our relationship, but he broke up with me in that he put me in a situation where I could either choose to be with him and not respect myself or choose in that moment, choose to respect that this was too much for me and I had to opt out. So it was like a, it was a very strange type of breakup. I, because I did feel emotion towards him. I didn't think he was a straight up monster. I thought he was inexperienced. I thought things were complicated. Like I was assessing it from every fucking angle. And now that I just have such clarity towards it, it's just like, Oh, freedom. I never thought that I would. I, I honestly was like, I'm going to be pining after this person for fucking years and I'm never going to sleep. And then every person that I'm with, they're going to, he's going to be in my mind, like a little bug in my brain, not even there anymore. Crazy. That's, that's awesome. Don't worry. He'll come back. But no, <laughs> Paul, I can't. Yeah, she's saying this like a good few weeks after sure. it happened. I'm in the haze. Maybe I'm like on the yes. pink cloud of, of, I mean, I feel good about it. Yes. I, I feel like, you know, the best that you can hope for is that you are able to learn as much as you can learn. Totally. And um, if you, there were, are still some lingering questions, here's the thing. I've always thought closure was pointless, too, because no matter Not what somebody... Not it, God. Yeah, <laughs> no matter what somebody says to you, you, A, you don't know the full story. Mm -hmm. You don't, you, like you said, you don't know exactly what's going on in their mind. Their intentions, their intentions and and even if they're ending things with you i would hope that you were close enough that they wouldn't want to hurt your feelings they don't nobody wants somebody to walk away from a relationship with hurt feelings mm -mm. um but at the same time everybody's always looking out for themselves first and that's what i believe um but closure like when people say i just want closure i i think usually that's not truly what they want really i, I think, I think that, they want to get their way yeah I think you always want to have maybe, your way. A little bit of me wanted to get maybe, my way for sure. Maybe I'll admit that. you want to get quote. I think it's it's a false. They say they want closure, but really they want an easy fix. They want to know exactly what the problem is so we can fix it, fix it, fix or, it. But, or do I want my ego to feel a little better about this I think that's huge it. blow that maybe you, it's, I think that's how they imagine closure is going to come. Is totally. that they will see themselves as more powerful mm -hmm. in the situation, and then that will take the the pain away. But you know, yeah, what? or or maybe I think another uh, hope that somebody might have would be that the closure is knowing that the reason for it ending 
um, was something that they couldn't control. Yes. Mm-hmm. Or something that's not a, a reflection of who of they who are as a person. And value. Yeah. Absolutely. But that should always be true. The, you should just know that uh, and and like yourself enough that you don't worry about whether something totally. is right so, for you or not right for you. So what would be the best reasons in a relationship oh, that you good could question. find out? I, the one for me, what immediately springs to mind is uh, I'm emotionally unavailable mm-hmm. and I need to go work on myself because you, <laughs> this is so fucked up because mm-hmm. you were one of the best people I ever met uh-huh. and something's fucked up with me that I can't you accept yet. your love and it scares me. Well, it's mm-hmm. interesting that you should say that because my ex. So this is the funny, the crazy thing about this. We're synced up on such a cosmic level. It's disgusting. Our cycles, our emotions, Everything. our schedules. But mm-hmm. we both. So I reached out to the big ex and I was the biggest. I don't. I didn't want to tell her because she saw the pain. There's a thing amongst female friends, and I'm, I wonder if it's the same with men. But your closest friend will always hate your ex that hurt you the most. And anytime you try to like engage with them in any way, that friend's like, "Fuck that guy. He's a piece of shit. Don't you dare!" Like, you're so much better than him. Sure, that's their role as a friend to try to like raise you up and be on your team. But but I did not want to tell you that I was entertaining texting this person because I knew you would tell me not to. And I'm like, I don't want to hear the reasonable voice right now. But little do I fucking know, while I'm in here texting my ex, someone is leaving a voicemail on their ex. Which is fantastic. The next Uh level after a text. Uh You outdid me in an emotional way. And how much prep was there in what you were going to say on the voicemail? First of all, I always prepare. Did you have interns? (laughs) Yeah, I went on idealist.org. I I prepare like if I'm ordering Chinese food. Like I I will prepare for anything. I always always make a script. I always have talking points. But yeah, so I definitely did and I made sure to make it like equally casual well okay here i'll give you a you little bit of backstory oh you yeah fake the casual uh, he- always hey yes N- neither here nor there and i know yes. that we haven't spoken for literally years but yes. you've been on my mind is there is what there the a fuck? post-breakup casual acting class that you <laughs> <Yeah>. can take <laughs> you run into oh that my god trade- we need to trademark that <laughs> oh god um, i'm not coming a part of the seams at all <laughs> Um, so bad. The, the best is like, oh, this. Thi- I just heard this thing or saw this thing, and that's it reminded you, me. That's of you. how you got. That's in. how you do it. Mm-hmm. That's how you do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is what I did. But but so my ex, uh, it, it's it there. It was pretty different um, than Andrea in in terms of like the communication issues. Mm-hmm. I was very i was i was blindsided in the same way that andrea was but what was so harmful for me was i felt like i was communicating so well yeah you were the entire time so i like painfully communicating yeah and it's it was hard for me this hurts my feelings when you introduce me as your friend to your (laughs) other friends even though i'm kind of your girlfriend and this feels really bad but you did it yeah, well... When you were with him or post-breakup? When I was with, with him. him. So I, I met this guy... Yeah, that's a fucking gigantic yeah. red, red flag. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, for sure. And, and was it assumed that you were both exclusive? No. It it was not. You hadn't had that conversation? We hadn't had a conversation. Um, but we were exclusive in the way that we were not sleeping with other people or seeing other but people. But you weren't BFGF But official. we weren't BFGF official. Mm-hmm. Um, but if that makes sense. You're looking at me yeah. a little confused. Yeah. It, it, 
it does, but there's, there's still that, uh, unknown entity of, is he seeking other people? Yes. Are right. you seeking other uh, people? And right, that yeah. to me is the same thing as, um, is he with somebody else? Yeah. Yeah. The only difference would be, has he been successful sure. in getting laid by somebody mm-hmm. else yet? Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, okay. How I, I met him, um, and at a diner. At a diner. Um, he wrote his number on a receipt. Very suave. Very charming um, guy. Very charming. Like, without, without you asking for it. Mm-hmm. Uh-uh. Just walked over, left it on the table, and just like gave me this like smoldering look. Mm-hmm. He had like smoldering good looks to yeah. me. Mm-hmm. Like six foot four, a beard, like just su- such like boyish good looks. Yeah. Um, he was like a public defender and socially conscious very smart checked a lot of boxes for me that i was just like i'm into this Mm -hmm. like for me it's it's always like it's hard to to find somebody who checks Had, had you talked to him before he left his number on... No. No. It was just a receipt a that drive he by. had. Mm-hmm. A drive-by. Oh. You know what's even funnier about that? What that officially is, is a drive-by? <laughs> I mean, there's a drive-by shooting, but... <laughs> right. No, I this know that. This isn't that. It's, he didn't shoot me. What's funny mm-hmm. about this, a, a drive-by... What's funny about it is that I, this is something that I do, and it's really funny that she would date a man who picks people he up. He was in the like same her in a lot of ways. Do. Yeah, mm. I'm I, an, I'm attracted to this to alpha me, secretly to you. Yeah, <laughs> I'm kind of I've been going for it for a long time. Um, I I'm into like an alpha. You want to be pursued? Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Very much. Um, you write your number down. You walk up to a person. I usually do it when I'm leaving a venue so that I'm not going to make them uncomfortable. Like, I won't give someone my number and we're all hanging out in a room together for a right, few more that hours. Is, That's uh, weird uh, as fuck. How about giving it to them and then standing there and staring at them? Exactly. Waiting going, for do you response? want this number? Yes. Yeah. No, you don't do that. You just are like, I feel a vibe. And I don't, there's not really time to, um, to have a conversation right now. And I don't really want to like do a pickup weird cheesy thing. Yes. The number is here. If I hear from you, it's great. If you I say don't, that or that's implied, I'll just go, Hey, and I'll give them the number and I'll like wink. <laughs> I'm real, I'm real corny. I'm yeah. like, yeah. And then you like retreat immediately. I retreat immediately. Do you curtsy as you back away? It's implied. Okay. I kind of, and I like, I like come kind of like give a little butt shake, like, eh, you yeah. want it. And then I, yeah. and I'll move out of there. I do this with men and women too, yes. by the way. I feel like it's a universal. It's a great non-threatening. Move. Yeah, it's, it's a fantastic me. move. Mm-hmm. It got you. Um, another, it got me. Another choice would be that you put that little note mm-hmm. at the top of your butt crack, uh-huh. and then you twerk <laughs> your way out, yes. and it flutters out before you hit the door. The best impression. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And that's I, yeah. The the twerk will set you free. Yes. I think in this case, it's um, about theatrics picking people up yeah. sometimes, and that. That, Making an impression. That type of move is very like I it's have just the, such a power move. I have the confidence to do this. Yeah, yeah. So um, I get it. So so yeah, but but he. T- it turned out um, he was two months out of a divorce when we mm. met. I was the first person that he dated after the divorce. Um, he was also a lot older. Uh, he was eleven or twelve years older than me. Um, so he had. And like, how old were you? Uh, well, I was 26, so he was 38, mm-hmm. 37, 38. Um, so that, that also was super hot to me. Um, mm-hmm. and daddy. No, I don't think I it's, mean, what? 
I don't oh. think that's why. Huh. Um, I no, think it's stepdaddy. Yeah, it's a yeah. It's more a stepdaddy yeah, situation. Yeah, sure, sure. I go right to the main line. I go right to dad. Let's you go are, to the valley. Yeah. Um, I so it's more like he had the experience and um and he was chilled out in a way that yeah, an younger older man will be yeah men are not mm-hmm. um but definitely like the divorce thing to me was a red flag it's not even it's just something to be aware of it's like when someone like when i entered the relationship with with my guy it was like it's not a red flag because everyone's all either out of a relationship or coming into a relationship mm-hmm. or they're intentionally being single but when someone's directly out of a relationship you know where their head is at there's going to be some shit happening oh yeah and you can't pretend it's yes. not a thing three divorces would be a red yeah big, big exactly red flag. Yeah. exactly totally that, that just essentially says i have no sense of exactly other people totally or- myself anything right but i think when you're fresh out of a divorce you're kind of like a ball of mush and you've been with the same person for so long and now all of a sudden you have to be your own person and mm-hmm. there's all this baggage from that relationship i mean it's you know but but he was uh he, he was unique to me and he really um made me relax about it because he was being very intentional about bettering himself. He was going to therapy multiple times a week. He was trying to figure out, you know, how he got you feel stuck like he in had the safety on the gun. Bad relationships. <laughs> yeah. Um he it's it seemed like he was really trying to make progress in that area of his life. Mm-hmm. Um so well, I was like I can't fault him for that because he got out of a relationship that wasn't working for him and now he's taking steps to fix it. You know what I mean? Well, but also, do you remember that his ex had a drinking problem? He had multiple exes with drinking problems. And as someone who yes. has a drinking problem and knows what people are like who like to date me, I was like codependent. But I, but I was like, you like this guy, and he does seem to be addressing it, but it did worry well, me. Was he in any kind of recovery for being attracted to addicts, alcoholics? I don't think so. Like, no, not outside the therapy. He wasn't in Al-Anon or anything like yeah. that. But, yeah. but this was another part of it, which is probably misguided on my part, but I was like, I do not have a drinking problem. He is now dating somebody who doesn't have these problems I'm and they fix you what's no the, that's what's not adi- you keep saying not accurate things mm, oh. it's not a fixing thing it's you appear to be in a place where you're moving away from that behavior sure so you know finish your thought then i have a question mm-hmm. okay so so well i want to hear your question now mm-hmm. <laughs> is it possible there's some type of addictive nature that you have though it may not be alcohol but he senses that there is a compulsivity in some area of your life and this is just a curiosity this isn't me trying to pathologize uh i'm just always curious about human behavior and what drives Mm -hmm. it i don't know but i know that he said that he thought he was he thought that he ended up in relationships with women with substance abuse problems because it came from him wanting to nurture them, but also him wanting to be better than the them. better one. Mm-hmm. Him that's, wanting to that's appear pretty like insightful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. He he was, he was pretty self aware about mm-hmm. it, and he said, "Yeah, he liked to 
have this person in a category where they're the fuck up mm-hmm. and he's the good guy and um and you know i imagine that's something that's really hard to a really hard cycle to break well here's the thing too i think when he met you uh, the, your outer package to him seemed closer to uh, those ex- those quote unquote exciting women that he knew because yeah. you were you're a comedian. You have this kind of unconventional life compared to his like corporate thing. You you'll let loose. You're very free thinking. Like and these are all things that are very true about you and attractive. But oh, thank you. You're, oh, you're welcome. But the other side of it is that you're deeply pragmatic and you don't you don't have substance abuse. You have you have your problems with eating like you you. But you're it, it's not you don't get out of control in the way that I'm not volatile. Exactly. Like these women were volatile. from the sounds of it. And another thing is I only know his side of the story. That's, That's another true. Thing. Mm-hmm. But in the end, so, you know, we had we had this relationship that felt serious to me. Um, and I think that a lot of um, the, the, the things that he did especially very early on, I was like, this is somebody who was clearly, you know, in a marriage for a long time and thinks that that's how you treat people and hasn't dated casually. Let's go on a trip together. Yeah, like, let's go to Asbury Park for the weekend. And I'm like, I've known you for two weeks, you know? So Mm -hmm. I think I was very careful. Note note to self. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, you were taking a lot of notes to self in this relationship. Um, No, I'm saying I'm noting that now that I'm in the dating world. Yes. Yeah, I, I think... When you're casually dating, you do have to be very careful not to to do these landmark relationship things too early because it could very easily become a confusing situation for the both of you. Um, but, you know, like I said, I was very communicative about yeah, my were. boundaries and everything and um, slowly built up this trust for him and um, and really thought that it would be worth it. Um, and then in the end, he just broke up with me out of nowhere on a pier, on a pier, mm-hmm. on the pier at South Street Seaport. Mm-hmm. So you could jump off if it was <laughs> right. Yep. really terrible. Uh-huh. Pretty much. Had you told him you don't know how to swim? <laughs> I wish I did because maybe he would have reconsidered it. Yeah. <laughs> there is nothing like staring out at the water on a clear ass day mm-hmm. when you just got your heart broken and just seeing booze cruises float by. Oh my God. Is, doesn't it always happen? The saddest news. Mm-hmm. It's on a sunny day. And you're surrounded by people laughing. Mm-hmm. Yes. And you're yeah, like, oh my I, God, the world is varied. The universe is hilarious. That's yeah. another thing. Yeah. There's people everywhere. They're playing lawn games. I can't cry in front of these people. No. Um, so, so he, and, and he didn't give me, his reason didn't make any sense. It, it wasn't even a, a real reason. He was just saying, uh, I think what he said was, um, I feel like, I see us getting more serious and I'm not comfortable with it. Like something very vague like that. He also said that you weren't as this was after. Oh, so okay. then, so the day after I called, cause again, closure, whatever, whatever, what the fuck ever. <laughs> the world is bullshit. Uh-huh. I'm getting very heated. Mm. Um, I was heated, but so I called and, and said, you need to give me a better answer than that. That's not very, clear like I need to know what's going on in your mind um and he said you know I've been thinking about my relationships in the past with these other women and um you know I crave the excitement of somebody who's unstable and 
you don't have those traits that they have. So I think that it got to a certain point and like I lost interest and it Ugh. wasn't exciting to me. Ouch. Which, which to me, that's not a real reason. I think that's, I think that's, a, I think he's actually telling you the exact reason. I, say, say, say that again. Okay. Uh, I'm trying not to misquote him because it's like, God, it's if so batshit. It's so batshit crazy. Okay. <laughs> he said, I'm, I've been thinking a lot about my relationships with these women of my past because and they've all been, you know, unstable alcoholics, volatile mm-hmm. addicts. And you don't have any of these traits that these other women have. So I think something about that doesn't excite me anymore. Oh, that. Wow. How, how honest and, uh, self-aware. Yeah. But he's catapulting back into an Alanonic type of way of relating to people. It's like, it's like he knows it's, I mean, it's kind of like when I'm texting my ex, I know I'm doing a bad thing. I know that like I'm participating in behavior that is not healthy, but can't help it, like it too much. Yes. I'm still going to do it. And, and are you saying that, that that you find that extra hurtful? I just don't think it's true. I, I think, uh, you know, oh. maybe maybe on some level it's true, but I think it reeks to me of like, I'm a fuck up. Like exactly what you said. Like I'm emotionally unavailable and I can't handle you. I think it was a cop out. I think, you know, he maybe, um, maybe he didn't have strong feelings for me anymore and he didn't understand why. So that so, would have been less painful to you to hear that than the, the, I'm than just, the, I'm a, the I'm a, I'm a the thing is I'm just like a truth seeker and I don't like to be like, I don't like people like throwing their bullshit in my face. It like drives me insane. So it sounded too self-aware to be true. What would the other option be though? Yeah, I want to know what would have been less painful. Yeah. Because when you said what he said, I thought that fits the category that we were talking about earlier right. of it's not about you. Yeah. Yeah, but I... but. But, but you feel like I feel like I'm that's bullshit. That uh-huh. I feel yeah. like that's bullshit. So I don't like to be lied to. I I feel like is it easier if he's a liar and just kind of a shitty guy versus he's someone who has uh is trying to work with work on uh like an alanonic personality and he's regressing back into it. Okay, you know what? I think I just realized what what bugs me so deeply about mm-hmm. it. It's um it it, it bothers on a pier. Oh, well, that, that made it pretty cinematic in not a nice way. Yeah, I no, will say. Was it being filmed? I uh, might have been. Yeah, I could be. You know, yeah. in an indie movie somewhere. Sure, um, weeping. It was a left hook for sure. That yeah, that was not. Nice. Let me ask. Well, did he ask you to have a quirky best friend there, and somehow <laughs> within four feet? Yeah, of he, you? he and he wanted her to be like kind of dumpy, like there for comedic relief uh-huh. and whatever. I think he filmed it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> what a sick this fuck. whole time yes. he's a filmmaker. Yeah. yeah, that would be really good. Was there an upbeat but melancholy soundtrack? <laughs> yeah, actually, Zoe Deschanel, uh-huh. uh, her band was mm-hmm. did the whole soundtrack, scored the whole thing. Well, um, I mean, well, okay, so. I'm about to have a breakthrough, sure, so I'm sorry it, to interrupt do you. It. But uh, what was tough, the toughest for me about it is, is if that is true, then now I have to have that on my mind. Like, 
oh, once you get past this issue, we could be together. Or, oh. or it's not true, and that's just, you're giving me false hope that someday, in a different scenario, mm-hmm. this could work. You feel like someone's making a fool of you in a certain way. Yeah, I, I feel mm-hmm. like, I don't know if that means once you work on yourself, there's still a chance that it could happen. Mm-hmm. Or if that means, no, it's never going to happen because it's never going to happen regardless because he's breaking up with you though you know i know from my perspective the problem sorry no finish your thought so the problem is not that he uh is um drawn to to addicts the problem is that he doesn't want to be with me it's sure it's not that's not the reason you know what i mean if there was somebody who was so great who Mm. he could get past that for Mm then he it wouldn't be a problem. Yeah, but no one gets past stuff for other people. That's the thing. No. They don't. But, they just don't. But do you know what I mean? Like, if in a year's time he gets past that issue and I reach back out, this is, or he reaches back out, could we still be together? If the answer's no, then I think... You want to know regardless. You really... Because you want to be able to know with certainty what exactly is happening so that you can act appropriately. Yeah. Yeah. Like we said, you can never really... Right. You can't ever really know that truth. Right. What were you going to say, Paul? Two thoughts. One is that you are trying to find a way to make sure that you're mean to yourself no matter what it is or that you're or that you're feeling pain yeah uh and the other thought is that if he really is attracted uh to unavailable people Mm -hmm. and and he was telling you the truth i can tell you as somebody who struggles with uh an intimacy disorder it is much much larger than you can imagine if you've never experienced it. The fear of being overwhelmed by somebody who is healthy and present and sees you and loves you uh, can sometimes be, even though you crave it, there's a part of it that is so negatively triggering mm-hmm. and um, it, it can be excruciating. Mm-hmm. So... Um, I wouldn't rule out the fact that that was a the possibility, truth. but um, it also just occurred to me that uh, you're kind of painting yourself into a corner that you're hurt no matter what the reason mm-hmm. would have been. And I'm not saying you're trying to play the victim, but I think a lot of times something that we do is what's the meanest scenario I can paint? Right. For myself. Well, I think it's just, I think for me, I'm not saying that's not, that's a possibility, but I think it's more like, I want to know for sure that this is never going to happen because I don't want to hold on to yeah, an idea or a fantasy that it could but also, happen. but he didn't say that. He didn't talk about getting back together with you. So mm-hmm. you introduced that. Mm-hmm. He didn't, but he talked about trying to work on himself and get over these patterns that he's been having. And also when we ended the conversation, there was this lingering, like, I hope our paths cross in the future. Oh, he totally mm -hmm. did that. So the the door was left open. Okay. Yeah. And I think, I think also in terms of 
creating the meanest situation possible. Um, I think I do that to like, I go into this masochistic view, like with this ex, I'm like, I am pining over you and you don't even give a fuck about me. And like, I was just a piece of ass or whatever for me to take the meanest possible version of the scenario means I'm immersing myself in that worst case situation. And then I, I'm prepared for that to be the truth. Mm-hmm. It, Cause you're, cause you're comfortable with that. Exactly. Truth. You know it. Yeah. It doesn't I'm, feel good, but you know, I it. know it. It's you, you're, you're fucking everybody. I was just this chick that you, you're having orgies. Totally. Yes. And, and I was just this chick. You're walking that around with your dick out constantly. Took, that took our relationship too seriously. And I misread signals. Some, I think, I think. What are the, red signals? The, like, I, I miss, oh, I misread oh, the signal. Like, uh, oh, misread signals. I, I, okay. I'll build this image of myself as I was this hysterical kind of loser who thought this relationship was more important than it was and he wasn't as in it as I was and I just kind mm. of, and part of, part of that I have to acknowledge can be true and also part of it can be true that he did have feelings for me and, and, it's got to be somewhere in the middle, but I think that we paint this worst case scenario so that we can feel comfortable and, and process it being that way. And then if it's that way and we move past it, then we, we don't feel like a loser anymore. Yeah. Well, cause there's less of a gray area. Yeah. If, if you like admit there's a possibility that you are a loser, then you know it, you're not unself-aware. Like whenever I have a friend who, when you have a friend who's in a bad relationship and the per- the person is abusing them and they're just taking it and taking whatever they can and you're watching them from outside being like, what a train wreck and they can't get out of it, you feel bad for that person because you're like, oh, that person doesn't even know how bad it is. They're, they're pussy whipped or there's a person they'll just do whatever because they want to be with this person. It's an, an un- It feels unattractive to be caught in something like that and not be aware. So I think painting yourself as that person and acknowledging that it makes you at least aware of it. And it makes you feel oh, less funny. like a, a fool. Like right. no one wants to feel like a fool. Like how did you not know this? You know? Right. But you can't, like we said, you can never know. There's no possible right. way. You can only know what people tell you. Exactly. Yes. And I was um, just probably projecting my bullshit onto you and, yeah, and saying I don't, that. I don't, don't say yes so quickly. <laughs> yes. That's just her call. Um, actually, <laughs> this is entirely your problem, uh-huh. Paul. And the man is Paul, <laughs> and you're here today. <laughs> and we're going to talk about it. What if we were like, and now... We bring them in. <laughs> oh, my God. We need two more chairs. What a literal nightmare. We so, flew them both to L.A. Oh, my God. Just to have them on this show. Oh, my God. Of- what a great show that yeah. would right? be. This is your fucking life. Uh-huh. It's an update of This Is Your Life. Oh, and you bring so the viral. Ex- you bring the ex back in. And <laughs> just talk about all the awful feelings. Well, anyway, I'll, I'll tie this up with a bow. Uh-huh. But A sad little bow. A sad little bow. But I did. I left him a voicemail. Um, hey, what's going on? Because, oh, this is another thing. He, he, Since he is a little bit older, he's not on social media. And it's crazy because we're talking about like how painful it can be to be able to follow exes on social media. But at the same time, 
nowadays that is very much the norm. So when you can't, it's like, oh my God, this person was in my life and now all of a sudden they're gone, you which don't even... I guess is how it always was before all this social media bullshit. That's yeah. where private detectives play. are for. Right. Yes. <laughs> that's where, yeah, that's where you have a phone book and you're waiting outside their place. Start circling and around their block yeah. a few times. And it so sucks if they live in like a third story apartment because <sighs> then you can only see the top of the hair uh, of the people walking around. You see a guy walking with them. Is that their boyfriend or their girl? Is it their girlfriend? Yeah. Yeah, that's what those a- wrap around um, binoculars are for, <laughs> like those wrap around <laughs> telescopes. Um, I yeah, so I, I wasn't able to follow him. The only thing that I was able to see was he had like a, a Facebook page that yeah, was you went set in a on wormhole, set on private, and he uses it like a LinkedIn. Like he has no idea how to use Facebook because he's old. But so yeah, I'm sorry, thirty eight. Uh, th- no, I'm 55. Yeah, but you're in entertainment, and it's very different. I think yeah. the vast majority, yeah. yes. Mm-hmm. That my sister is not even quite as old as as my ex, but my sister's like 35, and she's not the same on social media as yeah. I am. Yeah. It's, it's just not a second nature. Um, so, you know, he would update like where he's working and his city. So he changed his city. Um, to Philadelphia, oh, which did is your where, heart like jump out of your chest. Yeah, when you I saw was that? like such a complex range of emotions. Uh-huh. Um, did it have anything to do with our founding fathers? Well, he's from Philly, mm-hmm. um, but I I think he got a new job there. I could only see the city in the job. That's all. Mm-hmm. Yes. So that was a lame attempt at a joke. Oh. Sorry, yeah, we I'm, bylined it. You know yes, what? I'm so my judgment is so clouded by my own. <laughs> hysteria right now uh-huh. anyway no i'm actually doing fine but <laughs> Let me I isolate that. Well, give me, give me a minute to believe that mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. okay um, all right mm-hmm. all right moving on so so i call him and uh you know i say that like something reminded a song or something reminded me mm, of him and then, I, and then i admitted to the social media stalking and i made like a cute little joke about it if i I mean, I don't want to toot my own horn, mm-hmm. but I would say this is one of the most charming voice messages I've ever left. Mm-hmm. I was really turning it on. Okay. Um, but anyway, yeah, it, it wasn't like a, I want to talk about our breakup or I want to like see you yeah, or anything like that. You're more self-aware than to yeah. do something like that. But I it, wasn't like laying all my feelings out there. I was just like, oh, I saw you move to Philly. Would love to know what's going on, on with you. You're dipping a toe. Yeah, I was dipping a toe. Let me tell you that as, in his mind... The subtext completely was, please come back. Yes, sure. of course. Sure. And yeah. you know what? Uh, he's not completely wrong, if that's what he thinks. So yes. anyway, but he never called me back. That so, sucks. Yeah. yeah. Or he was protecting himself or protecting you. Well, you know what? If he, I, It kind of gave me the answer that I wanted. Yeah. Uh, because Again. if you're not calling me back, then... That's this this questionable future that I had yes. in a corner of my mind. It's that doesn't exist. So, right. in in a similar way, closure, closure. Mm-hmm. And I think it's such a great example of if you really want to understand what is going on, look at people's patterns of behavior. Take yeah. all the words they say away mm-hmm. and look at their behavior, look at the and subtext. that often tells you what yeah. is really going on. Of course, and the fact that he didn't respond yeah tells yeah. you so much there's no other that's the thing you put yourself in in you you kind of painted yourself into a corner in the same way that i did where it was like let's put this out here 
one more time. And if I get a response, then this could possibly continue. And there are feelings there. If I don't, this is truly over. Like this is the final humiliation of vulnerability that I'm willing to throw out there. And I thought I was going to feel like, I think we both had a really elated feeling about it. it. The, the, you seem to just feel a lot more clear about it in the way that I feel clear. You got, yeah. a, you got a smelly gift. Yeah. Yes. I got a what? A smelly gift. Yes. What does that mean? It was a gift for your closure, but it stinks that he didn't respond. Exactly. Oh, yeah. It it does, but it's better than if he did and then he strung yeah. you on in a weird that's way. I, yeah. That's what I mean. Yeah, yeah. totally. Yeah. Um, you got your pain up front. Yeah. Well, do, do you feel like you're able to read people's behaviors without getting words? I'm getting better at it. Mm-hmm. But... I still struggle because I doubt my, um, I doubt myself so much. I doubt my intuition. Mm -hmm. I doubt my integrity, uh, et cetera, et cetera. I think it's one of the reasons sometimes why I isolate is because then I don't have to deal with it. And I would rather deal with a minor bit of loneliness Mm -hmm. than to add more self doubt on top of the doubt I already have about my profession, Everything. who I am as a person, Existence. am I working hard enough, am I a good person, yeah. you know, all that stuff. Well, the theme of our show uh, is what makes you a hot mess, mm-hmm. um, and do, would you say that's part of what makes you a, a hot mess? Yes, I think the biggest thing is uh, the negative self-talk, um, mm-hmm. being hard on myself, not being able to forgive myself, caring too much about what other people think. It's it it's a true testament to who you are and what you're all about. But mm-hmm. you have a way of like bringing it out of people, like okay. what they're really feeling. Keep going. Um, yeah. You're like uh, it's a great no. It is a great that? thing. I think you know. Um, you I mean, have a way of I'm setting setting people's minds at ease and like making them feel mm-hmm. very comfortable. But is that sometimes at your own expense? I I don't feel like it. I think the listener would. Um, probably be the person to well let's take it outside of the podcast Mm -hmm. yes Mm -hmm. i'm much more comfortable helping than getting help or asking for help Mm -hmm. i hate asking for help Mm -hmm. me too i can do it with therapy it's weakness (laughs) (laughs) it's the fear that they're gonna half-ass it or reject me Uh and that brings me a tremendous amount of shame and reconfirms the mean the mean voice in in my head would you like more water uh i'm good for now okay thank you so i'll say something about the negative self-talk because i am just now entering a new phase with the negative self-talk up until this point in my life i always believed that it was right i have a very very um mm, strict uh, emotionally hard father who always pushed me to work hard and I saw him with his success. He's very hard on himself. I think it's a generational thing. I think men of that generation are expected to like provide and be successful and, and be, have a beautiful wife and family and have everything but also be like a stone fortress of a man. And like, mm-hmm. I don't think that's a sustainable way to be as a human being. No. And I see my dad kind of coming apart at the seams trying to hold that together. But, seeing him be having him be emotionally cold and hard on himself and then seeing him be so successful as a human being he's so smart on the outside on the outside there's part of me that's like he's right he's always right everything he says is right because look at him look at everything that he's achieved 
And so I think of, I think of it in the way that if I'm hard on myself in the way that he was hard on me, it'll assure that I'm always successful. The thought of being nice to myself means that you're being weak and that you're going to start getting lazy. Like, (laughs) oh, being nice means this is good enough and you're doing good Mm, enough. Like you're making excuses for yourself. Yeah. So is that how? Because it's so foreign. Totally. It's so foreign to you. And you're making the assumption that you can't be successful and be kind to yourself, that they're mutually exclusive, Mm -hmm. which is such black and white thinking, which is for people who have addictive personalities or were raised in a narcissistic environment, Mm -hmm. that is one of the hallmarks. Uh The ripples left in the wake is black and white thinking. It feels like the final way of its bullshit like i feel like i've i've escaped a lot of the negative thought and i'm still really working through it but i used to believe he was right all the time and i would cling desperately onto his negative voice in my head as a a sense of comfort because that's how he used to parent me but now the fur we have more distance from one another and my mother is very nurturing so i'm more apt to listen to her and listen to people around me and i I become more successful the less I listen to it, which is fucking crazy to me. I'm like, if I could have been nice to myself this whole time and it wouldn't have made no difference to my success, what a fucking trick. But you wouldn't be as interesting as you are. You wouldn't be as introspective, uh, as reflective. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Whatever. No, Our I trauma believe. makes us unique. Flowers, <laughs> special snowflakes yeah. floating in the wind. Do you think that's true? I do think it's true. A, a therapist of someone who is very close to me, because I, I don't know if they want me saying they have a therapist, mm. said to them, um, uh, they were talking about their children, and uh, this friend of mine mm-hmm. said, my God, your children sound so well-adjusted. Mm-hmm. And this therapist said, and they will probably be kind of boring. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's true. I, I dated someone when I was in my early 20s and he had just like nice family, wonderful upbringing, like nothing bad to say about anybody. Uh, you know, cis white guy went to full scholarship to college, valedictorian. And it's just like basic. What do we have to talk about? Nothing. Very because, little. Well, because, because uh, I mean, you've just never struggled with anything really in your life yeah so you have no um not grit is not the right word but you your character there's no there's not a lot of depth of character because you haven't had uh your world kind of teared down in front of you the i i am looking for a woman who has just regained the will to live (laughs) (laughs) wow wow that's yes. a great spot to be in. <laughs> because she'll be interesting, mm-hmm. but she will also be... Of course, I'm kidding. No. But, Are but you, though? I, and I, she'll I, be medicated. <laughs> she will. I, I want somebody who knows what it's like to walk through hell, mm-hmm. but has found ways to cope that help them see that there is something really awesome about themselves and they now have tools to cope with life on Mm -hmm. life's terms Mm -hmm. so that we can have a healthy relationship Mm -hmm. but they've done that deep introspection they've they've gone through the 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 lessons the forced gym membership of trauma or neglect that makes people 
interesting and that you can connect to on a really deep level. And maybe there are people out there that haven't experienced that, Mm -hmm. that can connect on a really deep level, Mm -hmm. but um, I haven't met many. Do you you think, though, that it's just... Uh, like we only connect on a deep level with these people because of shared experience, like two basic, your basic ass ex-boyfriend probably could find Plenty someone of friends, find yeah, him someone basic on his level though, where their life experience meets up and they connect on a deep, on a deep level. I think a lot of it is just, are, do, are you on my page? Like a lot of, right. of, of what attracts me to someone is instantaneous comfort. Like, you're on my page in terms of uh, our conversation is great. You also like have some bullshit to the level of my bullshit. If your bullshit is higher than me and I have to take care of you, no. If it's lower than me and you bore me, no. Yeah. If we're like, or I right- feel like a freak around you. Yes, exactly. Yeah, well, yeah. That's we all have. Do you? I have interactions sometimes with people that I walk away and I'm like, oh, I feel like a dick. Like after that conversation, like I feel like I'm not a good person. Really, or that whatever. All the time. Yeah, mm-hmm. and all then the I'm like. Wow. Oh, so okay. So I shouldn't be spending time with that person. Clearly, mm-hmm. you don't vibe. You're yeah. not. You're not on each other's frequency. And it's it's quite rare to find someone who. I think that's a thing about these two. These two relationships. The reason why we stayed in them for as long as we did, it was because the connection was so good, and there were so many parts of it that were really, really fun. Uh, the sex, the conversation, like you said, he, he checked a lot of boxes for you. And so you were like, I will, I will compensate because I still want this because this is rare. Connecting to another person is rare. Yeah. And, but the problem with that is you end up doing so much emotional labor that's not necessarily, uh, returned. Right. Well, you know that now. Yeah, I know that now. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, you are recently out of a marriage. Yeah. How long have you been separated from your wife? Um, We split in August of 2016. Okay. And it's now, what, May of 2018. Mm -hmm. So It's hard to remember what year it is sometimes. A little short of of two years. Mm -hmm. Uh, One of the things that I wanted to, to chime in, though, is the shaming yourself and doubting mm-hmm. after you you know have an interaction with somebody i don't have that with men mm-hmm. i've always been comfortable around men maybe mm-hmm. it's from playing sports my sure. my whole life mm-hmm. um but i get it around women sometimes just yes. in friendly interactions or romantic or both um well i have really uh not had many romantic interactions since i um split mm-hmm. there was yeah. there was a, a brief relationship that was long distance that mm-hmm. lasted about three months Safety. and i didn't have those until, <laughs> i didn't have those until after the breakup and then mm-hmm. it was the rumination that we were talking uh, mm-hmm. about when, that, that you guys were sharing yeah. of mm-hmm. am i gross is is mm-hmm. you know Am I blind Uh about parts of myself and this is just going to repeat until I die alone? Mm -hmm. Uh, Black and white thinking? Maybe Uh a little bit. Yeah, I will die alone. (laughs) It's safer if I just die alone because then I never have to ask for someone to like me and then they they say no. This way it's safe. Exactly, which is similar to the thing I was talking about, about being afraid to ask for help. Essentially, intimacy. 
Mm-hmm. I have a fear of intimacy. I have no fear of having intimacy in a conversation like we're having mm-hmm. because I know it's going to be a fixed amount of time. Mm-hmm. You will go on your way. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's I, performative. I kn- yes. Yeah. There's it. There's nothing open-ended mm-hmm. about it. Mm-hmm. I know the rules mm-hmm. and for the most part. Yeah. And it's that is safe to me and it's a way for me to get that part sure. of me met. But ultimately, it's not enough because after my guests leave, yeah. whether they're male or female, or when I'm not at my support group, I'm sitting on my couch, um, sometimes enjoying my life, being happy to play guitar or work on the podcast. Mm-hmm. But there's other times that there is a part of me that feels um, that really longs for someone to share it with, not from a place of of emptiness and who am I, but mm-hmm. just um, it would be nice. It would be nice. Yeah, it would be nice. So I'm not desperate. Yeah. No. Um, and I think one of the signs is that I'm on um, two dating apps, mm-hmm. and I'll go days sometimes forgetting to check them, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. I think is healthy. Yeah, yeah, I think so too. You're That's not- a good spot to be in generally because, yeah. and you don't have the notification sent to your phone also. Um. I actually I do, oh. Um, oh. but if I haven't gotten a notification, you're not in a day or two. For it. Yes, uh, so it okay. could be a somebody replying to uh, a conversation, mm-hmm. sure. but not a no- notification because I think I have the conversation one turned yeah. off, and okay. I only have. Yeah, these that's a good spot to be in because yeah. then you're not like being obsessive about it and then you only have to look when there's actually a prospect and you're only engaging with people who you actually feel like a a real possibility of connection you're not just like forcing at mass speed which a lot of people do on there and i've been guilty of that it's extremely addictive Uh uh-huh but another thing i wanted to ask you or just a general thought about men intimacy that whole Mm -hmm. that whole gamut uh because there's a lot to that but i wonder like we we talk a lot about our friendship like as two females we have permission because we're women to be so emotional with one another we sleep in the same bed we've seen each other naked we share yeah, to level to level and no one ever questions us or calls us gay or shames us for that because we're two females men i feel as if we we there's a lot of conversation right now about toxic masculinity and what part of it you guys are responsible for and mm-hmm. i'm not here like apologizing for men and saying like it's not their fault andrea but, don't be a male apologist i'm sorry you know I, yes. I you know i love apologizing and obsessing and constantly talking about men uh but i think there needs to be acknowledgement that people view men emoting as icky or weak in a way that it they don't with women. So it presents this conundrum where it's like, we want you to be emotionally sensitive and have depth, but we still want the Neanderthal or when someone has depth, we will shame them and they'll get shame from other men, but they will also get shame from women, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So that's a very weird position to be put in. It It is kind of a, the male version of the Madonna whore complex. Yes, and exactly. You're damned if you do, or you have to be so judicious in when you're vulnerable yeah. and when you're alpha mm-hmm. um, that you're asking for something that is almost impossible to, to yeah. fill. And I think there, you know, this is a broad stroke, but I think there are the type of men who are 
on the path of seeking to expand their life emotionally mm-hmm. and grow. And then there are the men that it's not on their radar and they're fine with society's yeah. view of who a man is. And they would apply to what you are talking about mm-hmm. being mm-hmm. the alpha guy. But the, I think the ones that um, are in support groups, in therapy, mm-hmm. um, trying to grow it that's that's where it gets difficult for us because it's it's just a lot more complicated and we have those both sides to ourselves i have the side of me that gets into uh hockey fights mm-hmm. and then i have the side that is doing the podcast and telling somebody you're a beautiful survivor and mm-hmm, we mm-hmm. both got tears in our mm-hmm, eyes and mm-hmm. and I'm both of those people, yeah. Yeah. Um, and it can be confusing sometimes um, because one will come out at some time or mm-hmm. uh, another will come out at another time, mm-hmm. and having that mean voice in my head, mm-hmm. I often question, oh, was I being too mushy? Was mm-hmm. I being invasive in my questions? Yeah, she think I have some weird angle, like I'm trying to sleep with her. Right, yeah. yeah. I, I doubt myself sometimes after I do a podcast because I'll think, was I being was I being phony? Was I uh, um, forcing the emotional aspect of mm-hmm. this? And the answer is no, because I have that part of me mm-hmm. that wants to connect with people on yeah. a deep level. But when it's with a woman, I am more prone to second guessing myself because my history mm-hmm. of my relationships with women was being um, insensitive, mm-hmm. objectifying, mm-hmm. and and I have a lot of shame around that. I'd mm-hmm. like to think I'm no longer that person because mm-hmm. I've done a tremendous amount of work in support groups, but I am a work in progress. Sure. And I do backslide sometimes. And, you know, for instance, earlier in our conversation where, you know, I said note to self about not inviting uh-huh. someone to go spend the weekend after sure. two weeks. I felt some shame that that wouldn't be obvious yeah. to me. Right. Um, but you shouldn't. I think it's not obvious to a lot of people. I, yeah, because it's experience. It, you're in a, a new set of circumstances. How could you know what the right move would be? You've never been in this type of scenario before. And if you're feeling um, a connection to somebody, then naturally you want to build on that connection. So, yes. you know, it, it, something can be inappropriate, but at the same time, it's still a nice thing. It's yes. a nice thought to yes. want to spend a weekend with someone. And some women might be thrilled yes. to go do that. I know to go plenty that. of week, uh, oh women God. that would be thrilled to be yeah. whisked away on a well, weekend trip. Here's another layer and another question. And I think a lot about my friendships with men. Because one thing that breaks my heart, I have really close friendships with women. I will get to a level with my male friendships and they will they will feel a shame about having a closeness with me and they'll get it from other guys like why are you always hanging out with girls all the time it's kind of this that's this, a much younger thing totally because I don't know guys in their 30s 40s yeah 50s that view it that way the healthy guys i yeah and i hope that that continues to diminish but i've lost friendships with men because they feel like they're a quote-unquote pussy because i'm not sleeping with them and my prime word pussy in that context is, is the worst yeah just the fact that you can call somebody a pussy 
aka like you're being a girl. Yeah. You're not being masculine mm-hmm. just for being vulnerable in a way. And I think there's a part of them that is jealous that they don't have the capacity to do that because deep down, they know that's a healthy thing. Yes. You have to have friendships and, with the opposite sex, with people of different ethnicities, different backgrounds. Like a well-rounded person is is someone who has uh, had experiences with a wide variety of human beings. That's how you grow. So if all you have is male friends and your only view on females is they're people I sleep with, that's a very fucked up headspace to be in. I think a lot more men live in that. And they don't even realize that that's a bad place to be in because they've been told that it's masculine. And and I would, in my 20s, I would have been that type of guy Mm -hmm. that wouldn't have understood it because... That's also what culture used to be like back then. That used to be an acceptable way for people to be. Everyone's getting quote-unquote woke right now and it's a a good thing. But I don't like this like, this like, oh, you said an ignorant thing, you're evil. No, we are making like huge social progress right yeah. now. So we all need to be a little easier on one another. But like five years ago, there's certain words that we all said freely that we don't say now. Right. right. It's not like it's not like you're a, a bad person. It's just you are you're riding a wave of social progress that's happening at like a pretty yeah. rapid rate. And and I think the important thing is to look at someone's desire to grow and become more aware and less at whatever the mistake was that Mm -hmm. that they made because that is not encouraging for people. So a lot of them will clamp down on their set ways Mm -hmm. and just disregard any kind of progress. You yell at me. Right. And, and, um, you know, we were talking before we started recording about, uh, the, the Me Too movement. And mm. one of the things that I hope comes out of it is that we look at the roots of why these people who are hurting other people have become the way they are. And not mm. that you can do it to blame somebody else, but to look, because I have the feeling a lot of this is generational abuse or perhaps trauma that happened mm-hmm. to somebody. Now, they were still in an adult when they chose to do these actions. But mm-hmm. Let's look at the roots of this, this that makes someone more prone mm-hmm. to make that We're never abusive gonna get down to decision. It. Yeah. yeah. So that we can raise healthier kids and less people get hurt in mm-hmm. the future. It's, it's satisfying to our egos as a society to just disregard somebody, throw them on an island. Mm-hmm. We're never going to see them again. Mm-hmm. But deep down, they're still human beings. Some of them may have the desire or the capacity to change. Mm-hmm. And I would, include myself mm-hmm. at, you know i'm not a, a, a harvey weinstein mm-hmm. but i objectify just to be women. clear yes not <laughs> harvey weinstein yes mm-hmm. um, while our silhouettes may occasionally uh-huh. look uh, is that familiar. a couch in the corner of this room <laughs> at least in my mind uh-huh. um I am ashamed of some of my behavior when I was younger and I'm still learning and a deep fear that i have is that um I, th- there are people walking around who view me as a, as a pig who damaged them. Mm-hmm. And there is one instance in particular where this woman said afterwards, I, fe- I felt violated mm-hmm. by you. And I had no idea. Mm-hmm. And was I was this someone con- that you dated? No, it was a one night stand. It was stand. a one night stand? Mm-hmm. Yes. And I, I was, um, completely taken aback by it. And 
I apologized mm-hmm. uh, profusely, but I still. Um, Did she- it haunts me mm-hmm. that for two reasons: one, that she is she is hurting, mm-hmm. and then I fucked up perhaps someone's ability to be intimate or mm-hmm. the way they look at men, mm-hmm. and the other one is selfish: is that how did I, I not I, know? No, even shallower than that, oh. that someone is talking. Someone, about me. Yeah. Oh. See, that's another and, thing is the, is the, the ma- a lot of the male reactions I'm, I'm getting is how does this affect me and how can I get out of getting in trouble? Yes. And it's like, oh my God, please don't focus on that. That I understand that everyone has reputations and they have to live their life. Also, like the men who are quote unquote getting in trouble. No one's getting in trouble. Yeah. No one's in jail. Rich, powerful men are I continuing would, to be rich and powerful. But, but I, I disagree with the, the, the wording there mm-hmm. because the way society mm-hmm. is relishing the downfall sure. of people well, is yeah. making it in, into this class of mm-hmm. people getting in trouble. And trust me, uh, uh, I believe that people who who are off the charts with the things they're doing mm-hmm. need every bit of the consequences that they are get, mm-hmm. getting, but the relishing people's downfall mm-hmm. um, is is not we we are not learning any potential lessons from it in how we deal yeah. with damaged people in our society and. I would love to see us find a way where people get consequences mm-hmm. and we p- place the emotional health of the victims first, mm-hmm. but we also recognize that there is a humanity underneath people who do Bad things, things that hurt people. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And I don't know what that is, but if we don't explore that, we're not going to improve as a society as quickly as we could. Well, how did you explore it when you had that encounter with that woman? Did I, Were I, you I, able to get down to maybe where there was a miscommunication between you two? She didn't want me to contact her. Mm. Really? And, and I um, felt that I had to send an email apologizing. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was a call that I made, even though she said, don't contact me mm-hmm. again. Um, I no, did. It's a safer one because yeah. it's, you're yeah. not like forcing her to uh, communicate with you in a way that she has to be exposed. It's like you'll right. leave it there, and then if she wants to engage with it, she can. Yes. Yeah. Um, but yes, I did try to to learn f- from that, um, and I feel like the amount of work I've put into uh, my support groups mm-hmm. and trying to be self-reflective and see my patterns of behavior and dealing with the shit that I experienced in trauma, mm-hmm. uh, in childhood, the, that trauma that I experienced, that I can now have more clarity about my beliefs in mm-hmm. who women are, mm-hmm. what they are capable of, et cetera, et cetera. That has changed. So I give myself credit for saying, this cannot be ignored. I mm-hmm. need to take responsibility for it. I can't change the past, but what I can do is try to see that I'm not that that person anymore. But there's a fear in me that I am still more of that person than I think I am. Mm-hmm. And that's the mean voice in my head, but I'm not always sure that, that, mm-hmm. that there isn't some truth to that, that I am still, um, there's a pig part of me mm-hmm. left 
yeah. and that brings me shame. It makes me feel kind of uh, scared, mm-hmm. and and maybe that contributes to me being comfortable sitting on my couch. Well, here's the thing too: is that it, everyone, everything. I, I, I'm learning a lot about um, a, a friend of mine interviewed someone who who did a dissertation on sexual assault and. Um, I sat in the interview because I was really curious about it. And I'm like, what exactly? Because I can't fathom that. I've also like been socialized and raised in a female perspective. Mm-hmm. We don't really. We're not grabbing ass. We're not grabbing ass. We we are capable of other ways of damaging people. That sure. Are With emotions. Pretty Machiavellian, high level We're manipulative. shit. manipulative. Oh, yeah. So I'm not saying women are angels, but it, it, this is just a way that I, I'm not familiar with at all. So I'm curious about it. And the woman, the woman who was interviewed said that men are not, again, it goes back to this men, it, it, men are told that emoting is unattractive and doesn't conform to their gender. It's not something that you should be doing. Mm -hmm. You should be keeping everything together. Don't be embarrassing. Don't be crying. My dad used to say, don't make a scene when I would cry. It is viewed as like an outburst and it's unattractive. So they have these emotions. There's no where to place it a lot of the ways like people say that women are emotional men are emotional but their emotions usually come out in anger because that's Mm -hmm. acceptable male emotion anger is one of the ways that it is you can still maintain masculinity Mm -hmm. but you can release the hellstorm of whatever the fuck is happening below Mm. the surface but there's no growth in it. no anger is of, of like it's like a level one emotion yeah total yeah. lizard brain total lizard brain but yeah. if that's your so if that's your only um output level is being angry then the other way to emote as a man is to have sex they like it, yes. they get relief from sex it validates their ego they're connecting with another person but they're also remaining this like there's power too yeah there's a power I was just dynamic. gonna say there's totally. a sense of control exactly so it's if you're too it, it, a very basic not super emotionally involved or nurtured man if your two paths to finding relief in this world are anger and sex rape to you is almost like cathartic and that seems fucking crazy to me but they don't they're not they feel as if i think you're talking of of predatory males or all males uh predatory males okay because i was going to say no no of course you don't but i'm saying on a on a base level an uninvolved predatory male who's maybe come from Mm -hmm. an abusive home whatever Mm -hmm. like is it only at a certain level rape to them is seems like a release they don't even really view the woman as a part of the equation Mm -hmm. and I think not the human part. Not the, the human. Woman. Yeah, it's like I can't. I'm overwhelmed. The testosterone is going. Mm-hmm. I I can't. I can't talk about anything. I, I can't. It's probably like uh, when you're feeling so many emotions that you just burst out crying. Like yes. you can't control it. You can't control like no matter rape where you is are. Crying. Yeah. <laughs> it is. Yeah. They're it having is. a good a, rape. Yeah. <laughs> it it is. Uh, I believe. You know. Obviously. Uh, you know, it's a form of violence. It's sure. it's not a reflection of horniness, mm-hmm. but it is how some people deal with it's a pain. power outlet. It's mm-hmm. how they deal with pain. Mm-hmm. And and I think I had never considered that. I always viewed rape as like this really kind of malicious evil, evil thing. And I think that's where we go wrong. Is that 
we, like you said, we put this person in a corner. They're a pig. They're a rapist. They're evil. They're separate from us. They're not even like human. They need to be kept in cages and sequestered away from mm-hmm. society. We have to acknowledge our past as human beings, where we come from, our biology, how we're socialized. Like it's not so simple. And I, it's, it's, I'm not saying that these men are right, but I'm saying like we have to figure out, we have to understand what itch is being scratched by that type of behavior because if we don't and yeah and to know how to prevent that kind of um limitations with your emotions Mm -hmm. yeah that would make somebody want to do that Mm -hmm. And, and a lot of that ties back into what our idea of being masculine is what men how men are allowed to act or express themselves i um my my dad is um best he's the best he's the best and this is a this story reflects very well on on him but um his his long-term girlfriend i think she was raised by well she was raised by immigrants and i think there was some you know serious confusion over like what makes somebody a man and how mm-hmm. men should act and all of that. I think a lot of like machismo type yes, shit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I think probably within the family. And so, um, in many ways she's a very evolved person and, and well-educated, but I think some of that stuff stuck. Um, and, oh, and yeah. they were, they were on a drive, um, and they were on the highway and my dad's girlfriend said to my dad, about my brother, did you ever wish that he was a more masculine boy? Like, did you ever wish that your son was more manly? My brother has never been into playing sports. He didn't like, um, you know, a, a lot of that, like, stereotypical. He doesn't like watching sports or playing sports. Like, that's really... That's the and he's also like very um super sensitive. Sensitive. Um very. he's very like touchy, huggy, mm-hmm. whatever. Um so I I could see I could see how somebody would say that. But that said, there's not just one way to be masculine. Mm-hmm. I think that's so limiting and I can't believe that somebody her age would think that. It's so strange to me because even at a at a base level, my brother, um, he, he's very technical. Mm-hmm. He loves, uh, you know, he video doesn't... games and computers and, yeah. he's a good um, provider. He has a great job. Yeah. He's, he's very, um, um, protective. He's always been so protective of me and my sister. There are just so many ways that I, he is masculine. He is masculine. Mm-hmm. So anyway, when she said this to my dad, my dad got so, mad that Mm -hmm. he pulled over to the shoulder of the highway and he said never say that first of all no i never wish that my son was different Mm -hmm. and never say that to me again such dad envy Mm -hmm. but i'm sure there are lots of men who would be really disappointed if their sons didn't like sports Mm -hmm. you know if she thinks that then there are probably a whole slew of people who would be deeply disappointed absolutely and um, I can tell you from, and I'm sorry I keep talking about my no. support groups, but it's such an important part of my life. Mm-hmm. Um, I go to a men's only uh, support group meeting once a week, mm-hmm. and these are some of the most alpha guys that mm-hmm. you have ever met. Yeah. Prison tattoos, 
um, you know, muscular, yeah. um, successful, some not successful, but putting their lives back together. Yeah. And we cry. Yeah. In front of each other. Oh, yeah. We crack dirty out, jokes. Boys. We hug each other. How we tell each other, that? I love you. Mm-hmm. And this it this has been college for me yeah. in what a man is. Yeah. And when I go to another support group that I do for intimacy struggles, and it's a mixed meeting. Uh, mixed men and women? Men and women, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, no, dead people and alive <laughs> All people. All different races. We they do it they don't, uh-huh. there's no yes. segregation yes. in this meeting. Um, I always hear uh, women who are new mm-hmm. to the group express amazement that there are men who are vulnerable mm-hmm. and can cry mm-hmm. uh, in front mm-hmm. of anybody. Mm-hmm. And I forget that because my life is surrounded. I don't really tolerate people in right. my life or am not interested in being around people that can't have uh, something better than a surface conversation right, or right. open up about what's going on. So I forget that some people have never come across yeah. a guy mm-hmm. that... And they're like, this guy's crying and then uh, inviting me to his house in Montauk for the weekend. Is he gay or am I in love? I don't know what to do. Yes. Or both. Or both. God, please, let me marry a gay man. Yes. So clean. I would yes. love to marry And I also hear some, some women say that while they love having that part of a guy, that sexually... They are not attracted to yeah, that part of the guy, and sometimes they just want, you know, to to, to be, be fucked bent place. over a counter. Yeah. Be- well, because that's and and I I talked I talk at length with my mom about this situation because I love feminine men. I am like I date men who look like more attractive women than I am. Like mm-hmm. I almost think I'm trying to date a woman in a men in a man's mm-hmm. shell in a lot of ways. Um, but my my mom always places premiums, and I think it's her generation. She places places premiums on they are they taller than you? Are they traditionally handsome? Do they have a good job? Are they going to take control? Are they going to take care of you? I like to be the partner in control, and it's always been that way with me. Mm-hmm. And she is deeply confused by that because because she thinks how can you feel a sexual attractive attraction to someone who isn't your caretaker, who isn't mm. the one who's laying down the Protecting law. Protecting you yeah. and being the alpha, being the leader. Yeah. And I think that that's a, I think it's a generational thing. And I think each, I hope that each generation moves away from that because, but on the flip side. As the only choice, because if that's somebody's choice of what turns right, them on, exactly. I'm not talking about in having a partnership no, with somebody, but if that's your turn on, yeah. is that I always want him to initiate totally. and I like feeling submissive, uh, that's great. Sure. I don't think that's something that needs yeah, to be eradicated. Yeah, but it's probably the like, only model. But, but it's if it's the only a, model in view of what a man can be, that's toxic. Yeah, yeah, but it's a real chicken egg situation because you don't know if you have just been socialized to like that or crave that? I don't believe that you can ever be socialized into what turns you on. I believe that that is something that is based in your 
experience. Yeah. Um, yeah, but a personal it- experience um, or a genetic thing. I don't believe that that messages can. But don't you think it, it could be based in your experience of uh, what you saw when you were young? So if you saw your father yes. being the sole provider, then yes. that's what you would. Yes. And that could be linked to. Yes. Ideas about. That that I agree with, but I thought you were talking about you know what you see in movies mm-hmm. oh, or whatever. Yeah, no, I just mean like somebody telling you and communicating to you from a very early age that that's what. That is attractive, right? Yeah, one I of, guess one of the things that I've learned in doing the podcast, a, a portion of the podcast, is people filling out surveys anonymously, answering some really, really personal questions. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I've discovered is that there is a link with many, many people between really emotional things that happen to them mm-hmm. uh, during either childhood or adolescence. And what turns them on. Of course. And, and the thing that I see the most often is the thing that we are the most anxious about mm-hmm. is the thing that turns us on mm-hmm. the most. Ooh, trauma gets us wet. It, it is a turbo charge f- for an orgasm. And I, I could give you hundreds of examples mm-hmm. where it is. Here's the one that I think is, is the most, uh, clear and mm-hmm. i see versions of this all the time this guy when uh he was a boy had a, a babysitter female babysitter who had red hair and uh she was like 16 he was like eight and she would make him finger her wow. and wow. the only thing that he can come to is pornography where fingers are being inserted to a vagina with red hair wow yeah that's a pretty one-to-one yes yeah cause but, and effect but, um i see often uh people who are um feminists mm-hmm. um it's super important to them and the only thing that really gets them off is uh, rape fantasies and they feel like that takes away from mm-hmm. what they are Yes. They they feel like it's a comment on their character. And one of the messages I try to get out on the podcast is it is not a reflection of who you are. In fact, oftentimes it can be a reflection that this is, you are the opposite of what it is that turns you on. Because turn-ons are often also taboos too. They're often linked to taboos. So it's like... If you have, or also like my experience, I have a a lot of experiences with people who have fetishes and like their fetishes are wildly unconventional in the bedroom, but they're not carrying that out in their day to day life. They're very reasonable people, but for one reason or another, this set of circumstances is what really pushes them over the edge sexually doesn't mean that they're a pervert or a freak it's just like what you do with it yeah of course and i i think going back to the the feminist point of view too it's like i'm trying to right now i'm trying to untangle myself from it a little bit because i try to watch porn less now because i find porn is really violent like across the board it seems to be getting more and more really does violent yeah it's it's very choking bdsm the woman is treated is defiled and Mm -hmm. that's kind of like the standard there are parts of that to me that are hot and i cannot deny that but i need to step away from it so that when i have sex with people i'm like am i doing this because i do like it or am i doing this because porn is like this and i think this is what men want and this is i think what i want i i I think i'm like 
I think it's going to take me years to really know how much of this has been just conditioned and how much is really what I want. I don't know. To me, the answer is in how much does it turn you on? Mm -hmm. Because, you know, if your arousal tells you Mm -hmm. what is important to you, I've never been aroused by what somebody else is aroused by. Now, it can be pleasurable to me being with a woman and indulging her in her fantasy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That but that more is arousing to me emotionally than it is physically. Turning her on. Yeah, I think maybe I'm f- I am less so faking it now with men. I used to be like I like this. This seems to be the style that you guys like and that society and now I'm like Okay, I'm gonna stop faking it and actually see what I like. You're major- like uh, you're like Julia Roberts in Runaway Bride how, when she discovered what kind of eggs she liked because she was just saying that she likes the style of eggs that all her past lovers liked, mm-hmm. and it turned out she only likes eggs Benedict. I don't want to be punched in the face anymore. You want, I, you want Benedict? Benedict turns you on. I have been so uh, illuminated in many areas of sexuality especially uh women's sexuality in reading these surveys and the one that surprised me the most was how many women enjoy degrading mm-hmm. porn mm-hmm. and uh i think so many people would be shocked to know that obviously not women who are turned on by that but perhaps other women who've never had that conversation with someone mm-hmm. else or men mm-hmm. and it it's so important f- I think for us to destigmatize whatever it is mm-hmm. that turns us on because the shame about that uh, bleeds into so many other areas of our lives. We It affects our self-esteem. And if we're not harming anybody, it can actually br- be something that brings you closer together with a partner because yes. you're letting them see that deepest, deepest part of yourself. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the things that fucked me up about that breakup I had was mm-hmm. I showed all parts of me mm-hmm. to this to this person mm-hmm. and while degradation porn isn't something that turns me on mm-hmm. there are other things i have that mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. turn me on and i indulged her mm-hmm. in her things and mm-hmm. one of them was the, the, yeah. the degradation uh-huh. thing and um and she indulged me in mine and after she broke up i felt like somebody had a nude picture of me yeah and of your soul though yeah like a really unflattering <laughs> yeah. oh. nude picture of me yeah and just the feeling of that being out of my control yeah. um it it i wanted to know did you break up with me because why did you break up with me? Yeah. Am I gross? Yeah. Is it, are you, or are you just emotionally unavailable, mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera. And I'll never get that answer. And that really haunted me for a yes. long time until I had to just keep telling myself every day, what other people think of you is none of your business. Yeah. All you have yeah. control over is the way you treat other people. Yeah. Or maybe leave her a voicemail, send her a text. <laughs> you know? I did leave a voicemail and she didn't call me back. But one of the things that she had told me, she was a total love addict. And I saw the red flags, but I told myself it was you a parade. ran through yes, it. Yes, ran through it. Uh-huh. But she said, when I'm done with a guy, I just cut it off. Mm-hmm. I don't. And so she did that to me and I... I understood it, but I guess I thought I was different. We all do. Oh, yeah. Yes. yeah. And 
We have come full circle. I know. I what think. a beautiful encapsulation of human Ooh, relationships. Yes. Yeah. I knew Paul would get deep here? with us. I feel like it's hot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> On our way over, we're like, we usually do uh, pretty extensive research on our guests, which we did, but like usually we kind of come up with like, okay, if they're not ready to emote with us or, or they're gonna, they're not going to be able to come on our level, we need to come up with some points. And we were like... Paul's going to be able to get mm-hmm. to Paul's that. got points. Paul's, Paul's going to jump right Paul's pretty pointy. the fuck in with us. And we appreciate it so much. Yes. This is a wonderful conversation. And uh, I'm so glad that you guys gave me an episode of my podcast yes. from, from doing this. This is, to me, like what a great podcast episode mm-hmm. is, is just a conversation yeah. and people getting vulnerable. Yeah, totally. And Paul uh, Paul's podcast is called The Mental Illness Happy Hour. Mm-hmm. I'm assuming people can download that wherever podcasts are yeah, available. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, your guys' podcast is called uh, Hot Mess. Mm-hmm. The and, Hot Mess Comedy Hour. And um, thank you guys so much for uh, this awesome conversation. Thanks thank for you. joining us. It's, it's a, a comedy, comedy podcast. podcast. And and now let me introduce you guys okay. for my okay. uh, podcast um, yes. and give me your full names. Oh, Andrea. I love that we know all this shit about uh-huh, each other. And I'm like, and who, who, and who are, are you? you? What's, in is, a, what's in a name? Why are you in my house? This is like an emotional one night stand. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's what it's like. Uh, Andrea Allen. Okay. Yes. Emily Lubin. Mm-hmm. Okay. I am here with uh, Emily Allen. Andrea <laughs> Allen. Emily Lubin. Don't uh, worry about it. I am here with Andrea Allen mm-hmm. and Emily Lubin, and they do the Hot Mess Comedy Hour. Mm-hmm. And we had originally uh, thought we were going to do two separate episodes, me being on their podcast and then then being on this one. And our conversation was just so nice and back and forth, uh, we have decided to just release this mega episode yeah uh, collaboration collaborative one so what you're seeing is uh uh what what would they call this in broadcast tv a crossover yes yeah like um like when urkel was on step by step Mm -hmm. yes she (laughs) always has great references they always come way out of left field and you're like where is this oh wow Really enjoyed talking to them. Uh, be sure to check out their podcast, The Hot Mess Comedy Hour. And uh, we'll put the links to all their stuff, their social media and the podcast and uh, all that will be in the show notes for uh, for this episode. This episode is sponsored by When Breath Becomes Air. When Breath Becomes Air by Paul Kalanithi is the exquisitely observed memoir of an idealistic young neurosurgeon attempting to answer the question, what is makes a life worth living as he deals with his own terminal cancer diagnosis. It's a stunning reminder to live while we are alive, a must-read for anyone in medicine from a doctor-turned-patient. For healthcare workers, expand your view on patient care and the fragile beauty of our mortal lives through Kalanithi's unforgettable words. Some of the questions Kalanithi wrestles with in this book include what makes life worth living in the face of death? What do you do when the future flattens out into a perpetual present? When the future is no longer a ladder towards your goals in life? What does it mean to have a child, to nurture a new life as another fades away? When Breath Becomes Air is a number one New York Times bestseller, Pulitzer Prize finalist, and named one of the best books of the year by the New York Times Book Review, People, and PR 
The Washington Post, Slate, and more. When Breath Becomes Air is available wherever books are sold. Learn more at prh.com slash breath. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Let us dive into some surveys. This is from the the brand new survey, Ask Paul Anything, filled out by a guy who calls himself Fan of You Know. And he writes, what specifically did your mom do that made it emotional incest? What kind of abuse did you face with her? Um, As far as the emotional uh, incest, I would say, you know, one of the bigger things was probably starting when I was seven or eight years old, uh, I kind of became her therapist. Uh, She would break down and cry about her marriage and how she wanted to leave my dad and you know I wouldn't how she wanted to leave all of us and you know I felt like it was upon me to to save her essentially shared a lot of stuff that a parent should not be sharing with a uh, child um kind of put her emotional needs first and then there were a lot of physical boundaries uh crossed that were what would be considered covert sexual abuse, taking my temperature rectally till I was eight years old. And it just always felt like there was some ulterior motive. And I eventually asked her, why are we still doing it this way? She didn't do it with my, uh, with my brother. Uh, and it took me years to, you know, there was, there, I was shamed uh, or chided at the very least if I wanted to uh, cover up around her. Um, yeah, there's a whole list of things, but yeah, I, I hope that answers the, uh, the question. There's a great book that I plug all the time about covert incest called Silently Seduced by, uh, Kenneth Adams. And that, he's the guy that coined the term, uh, si- uh, covert incest. Highly recommend it if you feel like you grew up in an environment where there weren't a lot of boundaries and the needs of the, of the parent came first or you felt like you were treated as a spouse. Um, another thing that she, that she would do probably until my twenties, she would grab my butt and tell me how attractive I was. When I would pick up the phone, she would say, hello, Mr. Gilmartin. This is Mrs. Gilmartin. Um, yeah, it was, and, and my mom is not a bad person. That That's something that I feel like it's, important to say uh, because it was a very complicated relationship. I don't have contact with her today and it's not because of what she did. It's because she cannot or will not uh, respect the boundaries that I try to set today and I had to do it to to save my own mental well-being. I didn't want to have to cut contact but uh, I I did and uh, there are a few things uh, that I am as torn up about as having to cut my mom uh, out of my life, but I had to. I had to. So I hope that answers your question. This is from the Back in Time survey filled out by Mariana. 
And she writes, I would go back to when I was eight, when I first began hating myself and my shyness. I would tell myself that although I don't see it yet, being shy is a gift in and of itself, that I shouldn't fight it and certainly should not hate myself for it. I would try to explain that my shyness is a manifestation of me trying to protect myself and that is nothing to be ashamed of. I would try to explain that my early childhood experiences made me feel unsafe and that it was out of my control, but that I should trust myself and listen to my body. I would also tell myself not to fear animals, that fearing them is a waste of time, that animals can be loving and affectionate and are rarely as dangerous as I perceive them to be. Any comments to make the podcast better? More interviews with dogs. Couldn't agree more. They always bail on me at the last minute, though. And then I go to confront them, and uh, they just want their bellies rubbed. This is from the Fears survey, filled out by Louisa, and she writes, One of my biggest fears is that all of my recovery has been a lie. I'm so afraid that it's true what my family says, that they don't have issues at all, but that I'm just way too sensitive, and that I'm blaming my own weakness and faults onto them. My God, that is sadly so fucking common, uh, that, that gaslighting. Uh, I'm afraid that it's not actually courageous to say for the first time that my grandfather has been touching me inappropriately all of my life, but that I'm actually being cruel to a confused and well-meaning old man. I'm afraid that by saying that my dad has a mental illness and that I had a right to know that when my mental illness surfaced, I'm not actually being brave and confronting the truth so that I can finally get better, but that I'm using him as a scapegoat for my cowardice and laziness. I'm absolutely terrified that by telling my mom, whom I love so much, that she let me down when I was seriously suicidal, that I'm not actually finally standing up for myself, but I'm hurting a person I love to make myself feel superior to her. I'm so afraid that my eating disorder isn't actually a result of my trauma, but that I'm just a gluttonous pig. Most of all, I'm afraid that I'll keep lying to myself and never sincerely confront my issues, and then I'll one day project it all on my kids and mess them up in the cruelest ways while feeling entirely self-righteous. Wow. I related to so many of the things that you listed, and I think people listening do too. That mean voice in our brain, that that thing that questions our our instinct and our authenticity. Um, And in a way, a bit of that voice is a healthy thing to to be open-minded and to look at things from all angles. But to come to the conclusion that these are the truths is so cruel to to yourself. Um, there's so much healthiness that you are displaying uh, by protecting yourself as an adult. And I, th- I think it, it speaks to the voice that gets ingrained in us by emotionally stunted caregivers um, that mean voice is going to be there for years saying, nah, you're just a baby. You just need to suck it up. But uh, I just want to, I want to give you a high five for breaking, breaking the cycle. This is from the love survey filled out by tired tater tot. And they write, I love waking up before the alarm goes off. 
I love smoking a joint and relaxing when the kids are at school. I love a freshly made bed with clean sheets. I love a good laugh, the kind that makes you sound like a dying seal. (laughs) I love being able to drink my coffee while it's hot without any distractions. I love a steaming hot shower after a long day of fighting a war inside my mind. I love being able to eat food without knowing the calorie count so I don't feel guilty for it. I love my daughter's sleepy eyes in the morning as she wakes up with an innocent smile and nothing else in the world matters. Oh, those are awesome. Thank you for those. This is from the Shame and Secret survey filled out by a guy who calls himself Extra Mundane. He identifies as straight. He is in his 40s, was raised in a totally chaotic environment. Uh, ever been the victim of sexual abuse? Some stuff happened, but I don't know if it counts. He doesn't elaborate. He's also been physically and emotionally abused. He writes, Dad was a violent, unpredictable, alcoholic, cluster B nightmare. I was maybe 11 or 12 and had been mowing all day with a ridiculous taped-together tiny Toro push mower. He ran up behind me to kick me in the ass, one of his favorite hobbies, caught me mid-stride and buried his steel-toe boot squarely in my balls, dropping me like a sack of potatoes right there in the yard because I wasn't, quote, mowing a straight line. Another time I was riding the dirt bike around the yard dropped it on a slick patch, and bent the brake handle out maybe an inch or so. He was always big on, if you do something, tell me. So I rode up to the house and found him wasted and swaying in the garage to show him. With my hand still on the grip, he bent it back, using my fingers as a fulcrum, breaking the ring and pinky finger on my right hand, all while staring me directly in the eyes, daring me to react. I had to sit there on the bike and silently listen to my own fingers snap. The thought of riding a motorcycle still gives me panic attacks 30 plus years later. Wow. Wow. That is heavy. Any positive experiences with the abuser? No. Darkest thoughts? Strictly ideation, but... Filing a notch between the barrels of a side-by-side 12-gauge shotgun to perfectly fit the bridge of my nose. This has lulled me to sleep on many a dark night. Darkest secrets. I was emotionally and physically abused by my last girlfriend for five years. Sexual fantasy is most powerful to you. I'm pretty vanilla, but fantasize about being sometimes cruelly dominant. What, if anything, would you like to say to someone you haven't been able to? I would love to sit my dad down and have story time, but cannot say with total assurance that I could restrain from violence. Besides, he's in his 80s now, withering away under the dark cloud of alcohol-induced dementia. He is suffering more than what I could bring by his own hand. What, if anything, do you wish for? To have money to periodically recede from society. Have you shared these things with others? I've shared them with my therapist. She is wonderful. How do you feel after writing these things down? After a year plus of an EMDR, most of these traumas are like bombed and burned out buildings. Writing them here feels like progress. It affirms that they no longer re-traumatize me. It's like I'm leaving part of the rubble behind. Thank you for that. 
What, if anything, would you like to share with someone who shares your thoughts or experiences? You are your most powerful when you finally accept your powerlessness. Wow, dude. Dude. That is as hard as some of that stuff was to read. That that is just one of the best surveys. The the work that you've done, the clarity that you have, the the healing that you've experienced, that just made me made me smile despite the the horror. Isn't that life in general? Joy despite the horror. Dance dancing to a song in a minor key. That to me is kind of what life is. Uh, this is from the love survey filled out by Sabrina. She writes, I love watching my cat sleep peacefully by the window uh, on a sunny day. I love listening to my favorite songs after a shitty day at work and scream singing in the car. I love how comfy and warm my bed and blankets feel in the wee hours of the morning. I love hugging my dad, and I love taking off my mask after a long day of work. That's not the pandemic. That's a kabuki mask. She she can only put in a good work day when she's dressed for kabuki theater. This is from the Shame and Secret survey, uh, filled out by a woman who calls herself T. Dot. She identifies as bisexual. She's in her twenties. Was raised in a totally chaotic environment. Uh, was the victim of sexual abuse uh, and reported it. She writes, although it was not as bad as a lot of stories heard around the world, I like, I like how right out of the gate you minimize it by bringing the globe into it. Uh, I was in a popular chain donut business when one of the employees jumped from over the counter, bear hugged me from behind so I could not move, and lifted me slightly off the floor while he stuck his hand up my skirt and made his way under my bra. The whole ordeal lasted about 30 seconds before I kicked him in the shins and broke free. It took me a while to process what happened, let alone tell police. Luckily, it was caught on camera. Holy fuck. Holy fuck. Wow. She's been emotionally abused. I grew up in the middle of a feudal divorce with two narcissistic parents. I call it a 15-year custody battle between edge lords. I'm not sure what that means, edge lords. Any positive experiences with the abusers? They're my parents, of course. It's complicated deepest, darkest thoughts. That's a hard one. I keep this pretty light because of all the crazy that has followed behind me. A feeling I held on to before meeting someone who means the world to me was just the feeling to run away from my life. Darkest secrets. Post-assault, I fell into a spiral of very, quote, different, at least for my own behavior, uh, behavior. I started selling shots at a strip club when I was 18 and found a love for cocaine. One night, this guy took me back to his apartment where we were meeting his friend named John. 
Oh, how stupid I was. John, a 50-plus-year-old man, took me to a shady hotel where we did coke and I avoided touching him. We then left that hotel and he took me back to some townhouse with no furniture where he was going to pay me. I got away with not having to do anything for the money, but I got really afraid and paranoid that something bad was going to happen. I screamed at him to pay me and let me go. He jumped in front of the door, and I grabbed a taser from my bag and threatened him with it. I was able to get out and go home. Only three people know that story. I got $1,500 for doing coke with an old guy, and I didn't even have to let him touch me. It took a while to not feel completely disgusted with myself. Wow. And it's amazing, too, how, you know, when, when we don't want to look at the effects of something on us emotionally we'll look at the the surface things like the $1,500 or you know I shouldn't have done this I shouldn't have done that instead of the the issue of this guy standing in front of the door yeah sexual fantasy is most powerful to you Well, I fantasize about being watched, and I don't share that one often. My boyfriend made a comment that I might like it, I guess after I said some things alluding to the fact that I was like, yeah, you're probably right. Everything else I am pretty open with. What, if anything, would you like to share with someone you haven't been able to? I want to tell my dad he's a prick for having so many kids and only trying to give a shit because the women in his life force him to. But then I remember he's only human, and I let go and try to smile and thank my stars that I don't have it worse. What, if anything, do you wish for? I have lots of regrets, but a future wish would be to have stability in a career where I can express myself through my art. Have you shared these things with others? Some of these things I've shared, but not everything needs to be heard. How do you feel after writing these things down? Fantastic. Sometimes I feel like my inner monologue is silenced by me distracting myself from bad feelings for so many years. To write it down makes me actually defrost my brain and get that voice back. Anything you'd like to share with someone who shares your thoughts or experience? Everyone says to not let trauma define you, but I feel like it's healthy to let trauma define you so long as you are able to see yourself in a positive light. I spent so long looking at the bottom of my shoe and seeing my own reflection because of what other people and I had put myself through. You create your own destiny and the ride can be positive if you're you're willing to learn and roll with the punches. Wow. Thank you for sharing all that stuff. Um, It's amazing that the breadth of experiences that get shared through the surveys and and what the the guests share on the podcast um and the other thing that amazes me too is how similar our inner lives are even though our outer lives are so drastic there's so many things that are common that we're all battling anxiety you know, fear of making mistakes, fear of being rejected, fearing that our authentic selves were were not enough, that we're never going to get better, that we've blown it, that it's too late. 
but thank you for all of that. This is an awfulsome moment filled out by I bought stock in rubber chickens, and he writes, I cringe a bit every time someone other than myself touches my laptop or phone. If they knew how many times I've used those devices to look up horny son helps drunk mom to bed porn, I'd be truly and thoroughly embarrassed. <laughs> That's such a specific search. Horny son helps drunk mom to bed. It's amazing how, you know, we have a specific fantasy, but, you know, often it's tied around the facial expression that the person has or a specific context that it needs to be in. Thank you for that. This is from the Back in Time survey filled out by Plant Destroyer. Uh, They identify as non-binary, and they write, I would go back to myself at 13, just about to start secondary school, and tell myself I have ADHD and am non-binary. Give myself the courage to self-advocate and get the support I need and live authentically before my life goes to shit. Thank you for sharing that. I really hope our society can get to a place where Non-binary people can feel more comfortable navigating society. There's so much prejudice, and the suicide rate among people in the trans community is so, so high. This is from the Fear Survey, filled out by G. And uh, she writes, I fear being a letdown and a burden. I'm 37, almost 38. I teach high school and I'm taking grad classes to be a mental health counselor. I have two small kids and a husband who depends on me financially. He works, but adjunct faculty doesn't make much money. As I get closer to my career change, I fear having to quit my current job and therefore burden my family financially. We already barely survive paycheck to almost paycheck. And if I quit teaching... To intern as a counselor, we will be so screwed. I will have let them all down and would be proven to be selfish. If I just keep a job a job sucking the life out of me, at least we will have the money to get by daily. I fear I am an imposter with how much people think I have it together when I am truly just a mess hiding behind my screen and my fake customer service voice. And in parentheses, smile as you speak is the trick. And then they all will, and do, think my life is together. Post a picture of my dinner at an angle, naturally filter my dark circles out, and post pics of smiling kids. No one will be the wiser. If they found out I am a faker, will they still like me? Thank you for that, and, and kudos on uh, taking that brave step to become a counselor. Um, uh, my heart goes out to... People that are that are struggling paycheck to paycheck. I mean, I, I think so many of us experience uh, financial fear, but the 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 fear of not knowing if the rent or the mortgage payment is is going to come together every month that that has to be so taxing. And the imposter syndrome. Oh man. That's what Facebook should just be called. This is from the Fear Survey. This might be my favorite name ever. Filled out by a woman who calls herself Lumpy Space Pig. That needs to be the name of a band. Uh, 
And she writes, I fear that my mom has given up and I don't know what to do or say to help her. I fear that she and my aunt and sister, who all live together, are feeding off of each other's depression and codependency. None of them are working, and they are not great with the money they do have. I fear that they will have to move out and have nowhere to go, and it will be up to me to help with that problem. That is such an important topic the dysfunctional family that we feel responsible for. You know, and it would be different if they were senile or literally unable to take care of themselves, but, you know, enabling somebody or feeling like we're responsible for somebody who's entirely responsible for getting their own shit together. It's so difficult to navigate. And it's so easy to see in somebody else's experience, but so difficult to see in our own because we don't want to see the people we love in pain. But we resent them for not getting their shit together. You know, a support group for some codependency might might be a good a good call. I bet it could help you. One of the things that I do when I'm being codependent is I imagine the, the roles being reversed and I say, would I expect this person, you know, to, to come be my savior? And the answer is almost always no. And finally, this is from the happy moments filled out by Adidas, who is gender fluid, and they write, I met my sister for the first time in six months. Just having come out to her, she luckily was in town and told me to come over whenever I could come. I came the following evening. I came in the door and was greeted by the biggest, warmest, most comforting hug of my life. It was so validating and to not even have to say anything, to feel truly loved and seen and accepted. We went into the kitchen and she opened the fridge to reveal an attempt at a freaking rainbow cake. She had made a deliciously cute Rice Krispie marshmallow cake covered in pale icing with colorful sprinkles all around and told me all about her brave attempts and future, more structured attempts we could try together. I was filled with such overwhelming joy and just pure emotion that someone cared enough to go out and buy stuff to make a cake that she knew I would love especially since I had been very casual about it and she had understood how much it meant and basically made me a private coming out party. Ah. Ah. Thank you for for sharing that. I just love hearing moments of acceptance where they're at somebody sharing about their struggle with a mental illness or being non-binary or whatever, whatever it is that they're afraid of being judged by or they're struggling and feel alone with. I just love it when somebody, somebody comes and sees them and validates them. And if you're out there and you're feeling stuck, uh, you're not alone. You're not alone. And thanks for listening. Everybody I know is bizarrely beautiful. Everybody I know is bizarrely beautifully fucked up in some weird way. Bizarrely beautifully fucked up in some weird way.